Wait, is this me? I'm sorry. Things just went uh, things just went all askew here at the beginning of the program. That's so bizarre. <clears throat> I think that's a do they have that number? No. And I my heating's been broken, but I've never called anybody to fix it. Why would your heating company be calling the the, the call-in number? I have no idea. Don't they have your cell number? Well, but more importantly, I don't know what heating company it would be because, yes, my heating's broken, but I haven't attempted to do anything about it. How long has your heating been broken? Like three days. <laughs> Were you just going to let it... I mean, I guess where it's getting warmer every day, were you just going to let it continue to be broken all summer long? Exactly. That's what I figured. Try to get it... You know what you should do? Wait all year and then try to get it fixed when there's a first cold snap in, like, September. Wait until the first day there's frost on the ground and then call and demand that they get there right away. Well, because I have... I've had things to do every day and every night, and it's like I don't want to sit at home for hours, like, waiting for something. No, no, no. I'm with you on that. No, two two story. Hello. Hi. This is the actual proper show, by the way. Yeah, we just... No, I'll, I'll just give it a second. So the uh, so the recap has now ended. So thank you for listening to the Rick Emerson recap. If you're just joining us, uh, the recap now airs uh, every weekday, 10 to 11, right here on this very fine radio station. It's uh, like a cliff's notes of the, the previous day's show. So we just had the recap from a Friday's show. So just two brief things about the heater. One, uh, I had the guy come out to you know, work on my furnace a couple weeks ago, and they give me that window. Like, we'll be there between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. Uh, you can't, don't leave the house. Because if you leave the house for 10 seconds, you'll come back and there'll be a note. Sorry, we missed you. And then you're screwed. Also, worst heater story ever, Susan Reynolds, on the, the weekend of the big game, she had uh, like 90 relatives, uh, which, and I don't think she was crazy about this to begin with, but she had like 90 relatives flying in to stay at her house over Super Bowl weekend. And that was the week it was like 18 degrees. Also, bam, heater broke. Completely broke. It's so like oh, 90 boy. people in her house, no heat, Super Bowl weekend. So, uh, I, know, I had a friend stay the night at my house this weekend, my friend Heather, and she was she was so freezing she had to leave at like five o'clock in the morning. I felt so bad. I think did you suggest that the two of you just snuggle under a blanket together? No, I did no <laughs> such thing, creepo. <laughs> Why? Hello. Uh, okay, so here we are at the beginning of the uh, the show proper, the regular uh, program. Uh, so I've got uh, I got a speech here. Here's the thing. I tried to pull a speech from the movie once, but it didn't work. And I tried the sequence where he's in the music store teaching her the song. And it's just, it just it, it doesn't convince like the da 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 da. Yeah, and he's all da da da. And what works in a movie doesn't really work orally sometimes. And there's really nothing else in the movie once that worked on its own as a speech that I could find anyway. So, so I have this like, incredibly dark sequence from uh, There Will Be Blood instead, which is not <laughs> like a real. But I felt like I have to play it today because it's Oscar day. You know, because yesterday was the Oscars. So if I don't play it today, uh, when will I ever be able to play that? Uh, the answer is never. So, uh, but then do you have? Um, so we should do that, Sarah. And then uh, do a little something that's like a like a pick me up after. What do you think? Do you want me to find one of like the once acceptance speeches? No, because uh-huh. I have that later. You know what I'm talking about over there. I know. What you're All right. Talking. Well, let me just play this. Then we'll uh, then we'll uh, then we'll uh, play the other. Then we'll start. Are you an angry man, Henry? About what? Are you envious? Do you get envious? I don't think so. No. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most people. That part of me is gone. Working and not succeeding. All my uh, failures has left me. uh, I just don't care. Love it's in me, it's in you. There are times when I 
I look at people and I see nothing worth fighting. All right. Oh, and I, I have to. I drink your milkshake. In less than an there hour. There we go. Aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps fate today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. Eight minutes and 18 seconds. Can you turn me down just a hair? I think I'm actually... Uh, oh, that's the first. I'm at Pittsburgh levels over here. <laughs> uh, eight minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of February in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, uh, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, it is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming by. It's 5.03... 733-2970. Now, I just want to say I drink your milkshake all the time. Somebody sent me an email last night about something, and it was like, blah, 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 signed, whoever. P.S. I drink your milkshake. I know it doesn't make any sense. It's this, And it's not even repeated in the film. It's a thing that Daniel Day-Lewis says once uh, in There Will Be Blood. He just says it once, and everybody immediately... It's like there was a national consensus almost immediately. That's the line we're all going to quote. In agreement, everybody? Milkshake? Yes? You in the back? Milkshake? All right. Milkshake it is. So that's the line that everybody... I drink your milkshake. milkshake. All right. It's 503-733-2970. It all makes sense in context. Just trust me. Uh, 503-733-2970. You want, you should uh, give us your comments. Uh, 503-733-2970. With your uh, observations, your input, your two cents, your conventions, your clarifications... Whatever it might be. By the way, Richie Bristol, amazingly hungover, even today. Even two days later. That guy. Yeah. You know, he lost his wallet on Saturday. And his card key. He's That's now the fourth uh, key he's lost, by the way. Got so drunk Saturday, lost his wallet, lost his key. Still sounds bad today. So, uh, anyway. Uh, so, call him and yell something over the phone. It's 503-733-2970. 
503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Here's what's coming up in today's uh, program. First of all, I hope you enjoyed the recap. Again, just in case you were wondering uh, why you were hearing this show from 10 to 11. Uh, so beginning today... Uh, we will be airing uh, the Rick Emerson recap, which is like a boiled down, you know, it's like a like a best of the previous day from 10 to 11. That way, if you're sort of a new listener and you don't know what the hell's going on a lot of the time, you can sort of listen to that, get up to speed. Uh, if, you know, you know, you're a long-time listener, but you, you, you miss stuff every now and again, you get a chance to hear. You can hear all of our jokes again for the first time. Uh, and if, for the and Dennis Miller fans, should uh, you will uh, want to note that we're actually uh, not cutting off anything. Of the somebody, somebody asked me if... Uh, if Dennis had cut back from a four- to a three-hour show. And it actually is only a three-hour show to begin with. Uh, we were sort of artificially extending it by an hour every day. We were uh, encoring the first hour at 10. So, so you still get to hear Dennis in his entirety, uh, 7 to 10, then the recap, 10 to 11, and then here we are. Bada-bing. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, let's see. Today's CNN radio correspondent, James Roop. Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess not. He had a late night of being all fancy at the Oscars. Whatever. You know, he's on the West Coast. It would be one thing if he was an East Coast guy, and it was already, uh, you know, 2 in the afternoon there. But he's on the... I'm, I'm not saying that Jim's not a game day player, but I'm saying I think CNN doesn't... I think CNN underestimates him. That's my only observation about this. I know that Jim needs to sleep and so forth, but I'm saying, you know, I think CNN... Uh, I don't think they truly appreciate what a news machine he really is. Plus, it probably took him a long time to get his car back <laughs> last night from the valet. That is true. He was probably at the bottom of the list. I'm sorry, Ms. Blanchett is ahead of you. Uh, anyway, so we will have an Oscar recap. I got like nine pages of Oscar notes right here in six-point type. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll get to just one after the other. I got all of these questions and thoughts about the Oscars. Did you watch the Oscars last night? I watched a little bit of the Oscars. All I right. saw the once performance. Yeah. Oh, How my great God. was that? Oh, I got lots of notes just on that. Uh, anyway, so we'll do an Oscar recap today. Uh, Lisa Desjardins. Uh, joins us from the Hill today. Uh, we'll talk about... It's just it's fatiguing even to say this. We'll talk about Ralph Nader. I barely knew her. Who, I guess, is running for president. Again. Go home, Ralph. It's time for bed. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else? Peter Carlin for the Oregonian joins us today uh, at 2 o'clock. Uh, Geek Watch today. Corpse Watch uh, from Britain. Paul Anka goes crazy backstage. Uh, and, uh, oh, and I've got the brand new National Enquirer here. Do you know what's on the cover? Of course not, because, uh, you haven't seen it yet. Anyone? Is that the one that comes out on Thursday? Uh, I don't know, one? actually. You know, what happened to that special thing that we had for a couple of... Well, we get it. I, I don't know. Richie's going to remind her about that, Dorothy Carcassari. Here's the thing about the Enquirer. I can never really tell which one I'm getting, because this is not the same one they're selling at the Plaid Pantry. And I just what bought this... What the dates on I it? bought this at the store, um, March 3rd. But that doesn't tell you anything, because the dates on the covers of magazines are always wrong. Mm -hmm. It's always ahead of time. Anyway, uh, the cover of, the, of this week's Inquirer, pregnant Jamie Lynn says to boyfriend, what do you think Jamie Lynn said to her boyfriend? You're not the father. You're of not the daddy. Right there. Ugh. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll, uh, we'll just, we'll, re we'll read a little bit of that. Jessica Alba apparently is having twins, by the way. Boy, she's really mind-bogglingly stupid. You can just tell. Jessica Alba came out last night to present some award that didn't matter. Some, uh, you know, like some award for film developing or something. And I've it, heard her in interviews. She is just dumb as a bag of bricks. Dumb? Yeah, I was just going to say dumb as a box of hair. Um, just, I mean, very fetching and all, but boy, just just a, just a big echo inside that head. 
Uh, she's one of those dumb people that are even more painful because she pretends to be smart. Totally. Oh, they're just frustrating. Because she's often... Just understand that you're gorgeous and just keep your mouth shut. That's it. There you go. Well done. That's Just be silent. Really, honestly, just stand there and look pretty. Uh, it's the same thing Brad Pitt ought to do. Brad Pitt should just learn to keep his mouth shut. Don't speak. Just stand there and you look fetching. Uh, let's see. Peter Carlin joins us today. Geek Watch, Corpse Watch, Paul Anka, uh, Oscar stuff. Uh, let's see. A possible uh, interview. Uh, we might have a guest in the studio. Uh, we'll talk more to Richie about that. We'll find out. We'll, we'll talk about uh, what happened this weekend. Uh, Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. I got a whole bag full of them here. A uh, 16-year-old without a driver's license or insurance hits a bicyclist in Northeast this morning. A man survives being buried alive in an avalanche. A baggage handler at PDX is charged with taking firearms from a passenger's luggage. American Airlines denies it refused to give oxygen to a dying passenger who didn't make it. One woman has 228 unpaid Portland parking tickets. Good Samaritan choose a forklift to rescue a woman trapped in a car in Hillsboro. Three people are injured in a Clackamas stabbing party. <laughs> an Illinois man steals the identity of a seven-year-old. Oh. An Oregon native wins an Oscar. Uh, Hillary's people circulate a picture of Obama wearing a dress. Is that it? Yes. You kind of you inflected up where there. I didn't know if you were going to pay it off with one final. That Obama picture is great, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's a dress so much as it is one of those. Uh, I don't mean to sound uh, like an ugly American. It's some sort of Muslim garb. Is oh, that the deal? Could be. I don't know. I don't know too many not dress, women. Not, not dressed like an American. Put, put it that way. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's a huge... And Drudge, even as he pretends... Uh, the great thing about Drudge is he's just an equal opportunity mudslinger. Even as even as he is just trying to bury Hillary Clinton alive, he just can't resist running that photo of, uh, of Obama right up the front page with a huge like splash story beneath it. All right. Joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello there. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing just... So fabulous. All right. So do you, now you remember calling me last night, of course. Yeah. All right. No, um, ever, yeah. That was one of the funnest dinner parties I've ever been to, though. Many glasses of wine. That's how you. That's how you sounded like what's his name in singles. You're, I was just drinking many glasses of wine and tell me about the Oscars. Um, so how great uh, was it to see the Once guys oh win last Oh my gosh! Night? I know. I felt so rude because uh, I was over at my friend Tucky's house and I met a bunch of his family and. You know, they have, like, this huge, glorious house up on the top of Mount Tabor, and it's just, like, real wholesome, like, East Coast family. Like, you know, Brandy Snifter in the corner right. of, like, the Slammer Stand or whatever. So, yeah, I was talking to his grandmother, and then all of a sudden I saw them on the TV behind her. I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't mean to be rude. And I ran around and see it. That was amazing. It was really, really great. And how great was that set behind them with all the guitars and it looked like a music store? It was really cool. I got, I got many, many, many notes about the Oscars, and I'm unclear about whether I should do them now whether I should do them after Lisa or whether I should wait until the Oscar segment of the news hour. I mean, I'll probably do them in this hour because otherwise they'll yeah. just, otherwise it's just going to take... It's just going to eat up the news oh, hour. Yeah, it's just going to be more of me babbling. So um, so we'll talk about the Oscars more here in a few. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Aaron Duran and Scott Daly, who had a successful uh, award show on Saturday. I think what we're now referring to is the Film Fever Radio Awards uh, at uh, Sam's Billiards. Went very well. Big turnout. Everybody had a great time. Richie was unbelievably drunk. Richie, did you, um, please to tell me, did you vomit at the Film Fever Awards? Oh, we should just, let's go ahead. Oh, Richie. It's called Sex Panther. Oh, Richie. By ODI. By ODI. Please, please. they're working on a, uh, did you hear there's going to be an Anchorman sequel? No. Yeah. Anchorman sequel, baby. Uh, let's welcome out to the Rick Emerson Show, uh, our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going to do that all day. All day long! Uh, so, 
How? Let me ask you this. Uh, you went to the Film Fever Radio Awards Saturday. When did you begin drinking? At what point of the night? Before there? Uh, 7.40. 7 40? 40, yeah. 40? We were late. Uh-huh. Um, so I got there around 8.10, and you were already unbelievably drunk. You, yeah, I got there at about 8 o'clock, and <laughs> what happened? You looked all waxen and just glassy-eyed, You kind of, and your face, don't take this the wrong way, you looked like a goldfish, where your mouth was just open, and it was like you were gulping air through a big open <laughs> and mouth. And we were watching you, because it looked like you were going to barf all, everywhere. You were in the front row, and we were taking bets on if you were going to throw, like, throw up on air in shoes <laughs> at one point. Oh, man. Yeah. Do you remember the Pimp Squad getting up to present an award? Did I embarrass myself? <laughs> yes. Yes, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I remember maybe two things I said. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, what did you say? What did he say, Rick? What did he can say? I just say this, by the way? I was telling Todd the Corpse this. Uh, he was there. That the great... No offense, Aaron and Scott. The great thing about the Film Beaver Radio Awards is it was sort of an interesting place to see dry runs of stuff that I might have been considering for another li- for, for like an upcoming listener party. But things that I can now remove from the list, like give Pim Squad a microphone. So <laughs> that won't be happening now. So thanks for uh, thanks for giving me a little dry run of that. Man, did you see Timmy Ryan going at it with that chick in the corner? That chick in the polka dot dress. The one with the red hair. Yeah. They were like full on, like, hi, I'm in sixth grade and it's the back yeah. corner of Mac- a. Macking. Yeah, I like some say. homecoming dance. She was cute, though. You know, I'm a sucker. Don't take this the wrong way, Timmy Run. I'm a sucker for anything in polka dots, though. So, uh, but, uh, no, she was, uh, no, she was cute. Um, I don't know. I couldn't see her face. <laughs> I can only see the back of his head. It was Her gross. body and his head. We were sitting there, and I'm sitting with um, our bowling team buddy, Chris, and um, Kelly Taylor. Right. Who is my favorite name in the entire world. The guy, by the way. And, yeah, we just keep turning around. I kept trying to get a look at her, but I couldn't because Timmy's, like, <laughs> mouth was covering her head. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a really, it was a not a weird crowd, but it was a very diverse crowd. Uh, I'll put it that way. So, and um, I don't know. And then there was, uh, I don't remember, there was some guy there whose name I don't even remember. There was some guy there that he heard the name of the station mentioned at one point. He heard AM 970, somebody mentioned Aaron or somebody. Somebody mentioned it. Oh, I heard about this. And he starts going on a tirade about how much he hates that Rick Emerson guy. I think I think that's I think that's how it happened. I think he was... No, 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 no. I've got it backward, actually. I'm doing the story backward because I because part of it was told to me by other people. So I guess the deal is... Because he, he, he had been talking to me. He didn't really know who I was. Like, he... You know, he just thought I was some guy. He had been talking to me and, and sort of openly, like, loathed me. It was, was being kind of a jerk. Um, and then at some point, I think someone addressed me or talked to me or blah, 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 Rick Emerson. And I think at that point, the guy realized he was, in fact, a listener or he, he knew the show. Anyway, but it was like a weird it was like a weird before and after, like with, like before he, he knew that I was on the show and after. Uh, the two different ways. But there was, there was that guy. And then there were, there were there's like a few unfortunate souls up there who were trying to play pool. Um, and it was just a whole room full of drunken, like, film geeks. Uh, and then three people who didn't know what was going on who came up there. And every time a guy would be lining up an important shot, some huge rotund film nerd would turn around and, like, wham, like, hit the stick right as they were getting to shoot. So I kept expecting to get a beat down from the pool plan, guys. Um, but it was really cool. It was it was a good turnout. Those guys had a really, I mean, it was a great, they had a bunch of great prizes, they had great music, they had great, uh, Machete won an award for best trailer, so it was a, it was a great evening. I saw that evening. one, that was the one award I did see. Uh, so Richie, you lost your wallet? Yeah. Yeah, when did you lose it? Saturday night? Did you lose it at Sam's Billiards, do you know? I don't know. Well, Have you no. tried to track it down? <laughs> I ate it at Jack in the Box later, I remember that. Oh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. How is it that you still sound drunk today? Did you drink last night, too? No. He uh, did. Are you lying? Well, I had a beer. Uh-huh. So, you had your wallet Saturday. 
you went to Jack in the Box, and now you don't have your wallet. So yeah. your wallet is gone. How yeah. many key cards have you lost? Three. Well, technically, because I found the first one when I was looking for the fourth one. How long have you been at CBS? Uh, August. You are no, on your fourth key card. September, October, November, December, January, February. You have lost. That's a card every 60 days. But. <laughs> and they're used to, well, like. I had a card like half hour later today. I said I lost my wallet, Jesus and bam, God. they got me another card. Like they're used to it. I'm gonna let you go back to the room and just sort of sit and stare into space for a while. Oh yeah, I need what? water. <laughs> go have some water. Jesus God. Yeah, he doesn't sound like he's having a good time of it. So anyway, so it was it was a good time on Saturday, and then uh, it, that was really the only time I left the house because the worst. I'm pretty much. I'm, I would say I'm about 80 percent today. Uh, the worst day of my sickness, though, because I was fighting off that cold, and then I got the cold, uh, was Saturday. I woke up Saturday and just wanted to die. It was unreal how bad I felt. And I had a terrible headache. Like, my whole head was made of sort of painful glass. And then I developed a cough, though. And so, of course, it's that thing where you have a headache, but then you start coughing. And every time you cough, it hurts. And so it's sort of like a... <coughs> Uh. <laughs> that was the whole sound of my house Saturday. <coughs> ah! You seem like you were doing okay on Saturday night, though. I was, well, you know, and I spent all day Saturday not talking, not moving, doing nothing. And I went to Sam's Billiards, and I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, I kind of played through it. And then, But then Sunday morning, I kind of hated it because I'd been breathing cigarette smoke. Uh, but it was, you know, so I'm, I'm on the comeback trail now, but boy, Saturday was bad. You know what I did Saturday, though, because I was ill? And I didn't, I didn't come to work. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. You know what I did on Saturday? I watched the entire first season of Dexter. <laughs> in one marathon session. Which I have now. i got to tell you, Dave Zinn hooked me up with Dexter on DVD. That's a fine program. It really is. Not like the best thing ever, but if you take the best program you've ever seen, whatever the best TV show you've ever seen is, and that's a 10, and then, like, according to Jim is a 1, I would say Dexter's a good solid 7. I mean, it's a good. You got to suspend your d- disbelief a little bit because it's kind of pulpy, you know. And it's sort of, it's, it, you know, it, it's. It reminds me a lot of Nip Tuck, where okay. it is. It is sort of soap opera-y at times, not in terms of like the. It, it just, you know, it's just. It's a really. Uh, it's a really tawdry, trashy, fun crime drama, but of course the hook is that the hook is that the hero is a serial killer. So I mean, that's you know, it, it's just it's a it's a big pile of fun. That's what it is. And uh, just really disturbing to watch, though. Don't watch it if, you, if you're squeamish in any way. You stay away from that program. I mean, it's got all kinds of really disturbing violence in it. I mean, there's there, and I'm not easily uh, off-put by things. It's not very often that I'll see some scene in a movie or TV show that kind of makes me look away. But there are some moments in Dexter where you kind of, Ugh. especially as you get toward the end of the season, there's one sequence in particular... I won't give it away, but there's one sequence in particular that they keep flashing back to over and over again, and every time for a little bit longer, and it's just every time you see it, it's just It's like worse. in the ring when they keep flashing back to the girl in the closet all yeah. over. I know, and, and just, and they keep, because it's a, it's a scene that is slowly revealed, and oh, they keep great. flashing back to it, and every time you're just like, Jesus, God. And, and I know that you have, that you're pretty good. I got a high tolerance for hideousness. Okay, now I'm a little nervous. No, I mean, it's a good show. It really is. And it's fun to watch as much as a, seri- as much as a show in which the serial killer, you know, is a hero. It can be fun. But I gotta, it, there is, as you get towards the end of the season, there's a, a sort of plot element that is revealed on Dexter, which is a CBS production, by the way. So, well done, CBS. Um, there's a plot element and a flashback that they start revealing that is so disturbing that you do kind of question your own morality for watching the show. 
It's one of those things like on The Shield, and everybody who watches The Shield knows what I'm talking about when I see the scene with David Aceveda. You know what I mean. Where you're watching it and you're kind of going, what kind of person am I? What? Like, for me, since I haven't seen the show, is it comparable to something like a really bad scene? Say, for example, at the end of Requiem for a Dream? It's a different kind of Requiem for... Because Requiem for a Dream is sort of really... It's like the Jennifer... Is it like it's disturbing as like watching the Jennifer Connelly sequence at the end of Requiem for a Dream? It's disturbing in a different way. It's just... It's just where you sit there and you go, who would think this up and film it? And why am I watching this? And it doesn't take a lot of screen time. It's just a few minutes total, maybe over the whole series. But it's that in small snippets, and they keep going back to it as the series, as you get towards the last few episodes. And you're just watching it going, who, who am I? What has brought me to this place in my life that this is entertainment? So it's a great series, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I would say that. Um... All right, do I have time to talk about anything else? I got all of this Oscar crap to get to. Oh, sure. Uh, well, we should probably break here in a few because we got Lisa Desjardins coming up. Let me ask you this, though, before we do that. Um, Richie wants us to know that he can get us an in-studio interview with Cam Gigandet. Who? Cam Gigandet. Gigandet. Cam Gigandet? Who knows who that is? Tim? Cam Gigandet? No. <laughs> He's apparently in The Young and the Restless. Uh, but he's also been on the OC, Jack and Bobby. Jack and Bobby, I forgot all about that show. Oh, I CSI, recognize this guy. And then he just says, and I think Sarah would think he's cute, LOLOL. <laughs> so. He's kind of cute. He has that, like, um, like that white boy Kevin Federline thing going on, though. Which is he, really is he a regular to. star in Young and the Restless? Do you know? Do you know anything about him? I'm looking at pictures of him for Here's the first the thing. time. If he is a regular on Young and the Restless, I will totally book him because soap operas fascinate me. I don't watch soap operas, but they fascinate me. I'm really... Soap operas uh, are fascinating me the same way that B.C. Andrews novels are. Uh, you know, I don't... Uh, I'm not really a fan, but I'm fascinated by the whole by the whole thing. So if he's a regular on Young and the Restless, I will totally get him. In. We'll t- have him in the studio. All right. And I'm apparently looking. he's hunky. Right. Uh, well, you know, he was on five episodes. Seven right. episodes. Well, we'll look into it. All right. On uh, 15 episodes of The O.C., and since we already did have that other dude from The O.C. before. Continuous sweep of The O.C. Trying to get everybody from The O.C. on here at one point or another. All right, let's break here. We'll come back. Lisa Desjardins around the corner talking about Ralph Nader. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Well, it sounds like we all had some awkwardness in our weekend. Yes, we did. It's you <laughs> walking by your front door every goddamn day. I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a coincidence, Sarah. Maybe he has to walk by your house to get somewhere else. Him and his child bride need to pick another street. <laughs> Does she know who you are? Yes, because I guess we've been at the bar before, and I heard, and my other friend overheard her saying, "There's your ex-girlfriend." And she's like, oh, we can leave if you want. And no, she knows. And she definitely knows now because she saw me coming out of my house as they're all walking by. So is that, um, so is that how he, is that like his whole thing about how to kill an afternoon? Like, why don't you and I go walk by my ex-girlfriend's house? It happens all the time. It, all <laughs> you the look time. out and there he is, like, walking by. I'll, if, seriously, I will leave go, uh, to walk Muppet, like, yesterday. And I look up and I have, like, my cell phone in one hand and my leash in, and Muppet's leash in the other. And I look up. And him and his child bride and his dog are, like, walking by my, right in front of my door. And I'm like, uh, I didn't really know what to do. And they all kind of looked at me, and I'm like, 
this is nowhere near your neighborhood. Like, I mean, it's near his neighborhood. Why are you here? There's no reason to be walking by my street. Now, was it? Now, let me ask you this. Now, was it? Uh, so when he, when he, when he, uh, when your ex and his his uh, girlfriend or whatever walk by your house, now did they stop and? Like, did they acknowledge you? Like, did they make eye contact and say, hey, how's it going? Well, I was so caught off guard because I was um, I was leaving my house, and I was getting ready. My friends were going to come pick me up in a little bit to go to brunch. And I was leaving, and I had my phone, and I looked up, and I saw them, like, oh. And Muppet, of course, chose that moment to, like, lurch forward. And so my cell phone goes flying out of my hands and, like, clacks down the stairs. It looks like, like a spaz. And it's, like, and it makes this huge, you know, like, cracking sound. I look like a total Do you feel like spaz. Bridget Jones? I felt like it was something out of a movie, and so I'm like bending down and picking up my phone because I'm not used to you know being caught off guard very much. I'm like, okay, I'm like, all right, just get your phone and just keep going. And then I saw them walk by again <laughs> as I was coming back. I'm Honey, like, what should running... we do today? I don't know. Let's walk by my ex-girlfriend's house a dozen times. <laughs> it's so steal some of her hair. <laughs> Maybe he's gonna start putting your hair into little diecast matchbox, uh, matchbox diecast collectible boxes. No, it's just it's it's happening. It happens more often than anything. I'm sure there's a perfectly logical explanation for it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, there's a perfectly logical explanation why I, you know, I live in the same area as he is, and I don't go anywhere near his house. So it's not like, it's not like... It's out of the way. Like, say, for example... Somewhere he's walking and he has to go by your house. Absolutely not, because from his house where he was, and where, like, for example, Fred Meyer, like, we'd walk to Fred Meyer. Uh We'd never walk down the street that I live on now. Let me ask you this. If he was going to, say, a local store or a bar or something, how far out of his way do you think he has to walk to go by your house? A couple blocks? Yeah, a few blocks. What's about blocks out of our way to walk by my ex-girlfriend's house? Again! Oh, God. Yeah, it's not. And this girl's, like, 12. (laughs) I'm looking at her, I'm like that. Hello. <laughs> it was Why, so hello. hello there. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondent extraordinaire Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hello, guys. How are you doing? How are you? Good. It's funny, you know. I just by the way, it's funny we were talking about Bridget Jones because I was thinking of I I need to see that movie again. I was thinking about Bridget Jones all weekend. This is how my mind works because I was watching Dexter, and there's a sequence in Dexter when the girl is dancing around the apartment to um, "Make Me Lose Control" by Eric Carmen, which is a great song. You know that song. Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend is on the phone going, "Are you listening to Eric Carmen?" And she's like, runs over and turns it off. No. And then I started thinking about all by myself, and then I started thinking about Bridget Jones' diary. Hi, Lisa. How are you? How's life? Hello. Hey, you're watching Dexter now. What do you know? I just finished. Now, Sarah has not watched it, so I'm going to keep it spoiler-free, but I just finished season one. Wow. Wow. You are just slicing through it. I, So to speak. So uh, to speak. I, uh, I finished the entire first season of Dexter in one day. So I, wow. I, 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 this is how lame I am. I got up. I set my alarm. And I got out of bed at 8 a.m. on Saturday so that I could have an uninterrupted 13 hours in front of the television. <laughs> that's how retarded I am. I think that's, no, I think that's fantastic. Other people are writing books or exercising or spending time with their loved ones. I actually made a no, uh, my day off to get up early so I could have 13 hours alone with sister, mother, secret lover, television. Uh, anyway, it was a great show, though. Uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty darn good, if deeply yeah, exactly. disturbing. Exactly. I've loved it from from the beginning. Okay, now let me now just before we and I don't want to reveal uh, anything here, but uh, I was comparing. If you know, how do I put this? Uh, so season one, Dexter. I was telling Sarah that it's a great show, but it's a it's not for the squeamish, and b right there is. Um, this uh, thing that happens where as this, the first season goes on, as you get to the end of the first season, they 
introduce this uh, little bit a story element, and they keep going back to this one particular horrifying flashback. Yes. And it's like that scene with David Aceveda in The Shield where you're watching it and you're thinking to yourself, what kind of man am I? <laughs> Why? How? How? What? How have I? Uh, how have I somehow defiled my own moral compass that this is entertainment to me? So yeah. I mean, it, I agree. I agree. I agree with that. But, I, but I, it's a great show. But then you, it really does make you put off somehow. Oh, man, it makes you question your own humanity. The, the, the idea that you're watching Dexter and going, I'm rooting for this serial killer guy. He's really cool, you know. So it, it does. They really pull it off. It's and I didn't think they could come back with a season two that would be. I, I thought they'd kind of. Pulled all the tricks out of the bag. Right. One, but I'll tell you what, season two, they got it done. I heard it's even better. I got a question. I don't know how they can do it a third time. I I heard it's even better. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, try to catch up on season I two. Remember, there, some some things about it are better, but it's something it, it's good. I don't I don't know if it's better, but it's it's probably about as good. Yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty great actually. And there was a great little um shout out uh, about halfway through season one. When and I'm not giving any secrets right here. When uh, the, when he he reveals that the pseudonym under which he bought that animal tranquilizer or whatever is Patrick Bateman, who of course is the uh, the uh, protagonist of American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis, yes. which is pretty great. Yes, which is nice. There's lots of good. There's some good. And and kind of I like about it that you can see uh, where I think I've said this before where they made their budget decisions. You can kind of tell. Yeah. At points when they didn't really have a lot of money and they weren't really sure. You know, it, it, a lot of scenes and kind of the same, but it still works. But it's 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 kind of nice. It's not uh, overly glam. It's no lipstick jungle, no. as it <laughs> well, were. Well, what what is? No, I will say, I did watch that show, and I know Sarah. Sarah, I, I, I think, and I have talked about this before, how bad those promos looked, and I, I have to say, it was not as bad as the promos. Well, because it, am I wrong about this? Does, does lipstick lipstick does lipstick <laughs> jungle in fact star one of the women from from Sex and the City too? No, no, but it might as well. It, 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 although they, they probably would actually charge more money than the ladies. Cause so the, the Brooke Shields is probably your most recognized name in Lipstick Jungle. Brooke Shields. Uh, so now, it, on a scale of like one being the worst thing ever and ten being, you know, whatever the gold standard, where would you put Lipstick Jungle? Ooh, I'd say. The, the episode I saw was a solid five, maybe six. You know, I felt that way. Uh, my wife is watching Cashmere Mafia. And, oh, I, uh, thought that, I saw that one, too. I feel like I had to see these guys attempt to get the Sex and the City uh, crowd, and I thought I thought that one was worse. Cashmere Mafia was sort of Sex and the City meets Ally McBeal. It tried to have that tone of, of whimsy, which is whimsy, and I know this, we're just so navel-gazed. We're just so... Uh, <laughs> So up our own our, our own uh, behinds with this. Take but, that, Ralph Nader. Yes. Yeah, but uh, but whimsy is the hardest tone to pull off in television, in I my assessment. Did it, yeah. And yeah. Ally McBeal could only do it for a couple of years, and then that show. And Ally McBeal is like the gold standard for whimsy, and right. they. That's a phrase you don't hear very often. And they, but they, you know, even they imploded after Perhaps, a while. So. Uh, was it called the the prisoner? Is that right? Way back in the '60s as well. A lot of whimsy in that. Yeah, a little surrealism certainly. That's probably better. Uh, all right. I'm just putting off talking. You know, here's the thing about Ralph Nader. I can tell. I can tell. And I'm 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 feeding that. I'm helping you. It just uh, it just makes me tired. <laughs> you know, I mean, not depressed. Just sort of like, oh, Ralph Nader. Uh, you know, I mean, first of all. Let me tell you this. I was talking to him. I had lunch with an old friend of mine on Friday. We were talking about he, I think, as, as he has uh, become, as he has uh, grown up and is married and he has kids and, uh, you know, he worked for um, uh, worked for a pretty, a pretty well-known company. 
and really became, you know, just, and I mean this in the best possible way, became a very successful kind of white-collar guy, mm-hmm. became more conservative politically as he grew up. And, and you know, and, and I've kind of stayed my own kind of bleeding heart self, and we we were sort of talking about politics stuff. And I, But I did, I did say that, you know, it's weird that... Even I, as just as much of a, uh, just a big, unabashed, bleeding hard liberal as I am, even I am not liberal enough for Portland sometimes. Because you got Portland, which is a play where Nader came and sold out like a 10,000 seat venue just a few years back for like 19 bucks a head or something. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it really, of all places, even, you know, Portland really ought to be just rushing to get on the Nader bandwagon this year. But boy, goddamn, he just seems like a man whose time has, his time has passed, I think. And don't get me wrong, I. Uh, in terms of what he did as a consumer activist, sure, a, a true, and I mean this sincerely, a true American hero. Absolutely a 100% honest-to-God modern-day hero. Uh, but it's just, he, it's got to be over, that, that's not what they're going to remember him for. They're going to remember him for just being this crank uh, that didn't know when to quit running for president. You know, you wonder if he and Ross Perot talk to each other. (laughs) Because I think maybe they should. I think maybe they should give each other a call and uh, and talk about the whole, hey, you know, if you fail once the second time, really, you're going to get more votes. I mean, well, and he's run three times, and each time with fewer votes than the time before. True, you're right. So I, I just, I mean, and I think Barack Obama had the best line about this whole thing. They asked him what they thought about the what he thought about Nader getting in, and he said. um, he said, uh, you know, uh, in 2000, Ralph Nader ran because he said there was no difference between George W. Bush yes. and Al Gore. He says, yes. clearly, I think time has shown that Ralph didn't know what he was talking about. Yes, which is a good line. Although, you know, Ralph Nader, I think, is voicing some criticisms of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton that are out there and some nervousness that some Democrats have about both, that maybe Barack Obama really isn't uh, that revolutionary, that he's, he really doesn't want to shake things up and that he's not going to go, he's kind of too chicken to go after corporations and that, uh, that Hillary Clinton really is essentially kind of robo-candidate. He, he, he's saying some things that, that could resonate, but the problem is that he, he's, he's the one saying them. I mean, and at this point, I think it does feel... A little, you know, there were points where, especially I think in 2000, where you, you could look at him and say, all right, this man ha- does have a legitimate message. He has something he wants to say, and he feels like no one else is saying it. It, it makes sense that he's out there. Now it feels more like, okay, he must just want to run for president. Right, you, right. You know, how, how, is he, how is Ralph Nader running for president going to change the shape of American politics if, if it hasn't the f- previous two times? I think, I think he... Is he has a point to be made in saying, okay, the two-party system, guys, we've we've got to we've got to have more than two parties in this country. But I don't think the way to change that is for a guy who, you know, has done decreasingly well to run a third time. I think he he's got to come up with a different strategy. So this feels a little bit more about him running for president than which is unfortunate political structure. It's unfortunate though, and because in a way, Ralph Nader is very much the, I guess maybe the Ron Paul of the left in that. Right. Totally unelectable. I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah, totally unelectable, uh, flat-out uh, crazy-seeming on c- certain things. Him, he, makes, he makes a lot of sense but, uh, on a lot of points. But that's the thing. I gotta, Ralph Nader is one of the smartest guys I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. I've seen him speak, actually. Um, I've, uh, I've seen him speak a couple times. Once, uh, when he was, he, was, uh, he was given a seminar, when I was in Utah, he gave a seminar on some public safety issue or other, and then I saw him uh, in Portland when, in 2000, actually, when he was running for president. And... Uh, you know, and and of course, you know, obviously everybody knows his, you know, his battle with the automobile automobile industry and the, the, whatever. But he's, he's one of the smartest guys who like ever lived. But you just you just realize that that's just it. it it's just it, 
That's not enough. That's not enough, and it, it, it seems like if he really is this into it, he ought to find somebody uh, to, I don't want to say mold in his own image, but somebody who sort of is uh, younger and maybe is more in tune with the political system at this point that he can sort of use as a proxy. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's possible. I think I think he, he may have really hoped to be a sort of Abraham Lincoln figure, that Abraham Lincoln really is the reason the Republican Party came into being and had any power and is, is still here today to, to some degree. Of course, you can talk about Strom Thurmond and all the other things, but Abraham Lincoln really is the one that made helped give birth to that party, make it a, a national force. And I think perhaps... Ralph Nader wanted to, to do that as well as a third-party candidate, but I think it, it, it didn't work. And so now he needs to shift if, if that's what he wants to do. Just from looking at the past, I could be wrong, and, and I'd be happy to debate it with people, but maybe shifting to a Howard Dean strategy where he does a lot more, and he has been doing, but he needs to do more kind of local grassroots organizing for this third-party. Who, who knows, though? Maybe, maybe he'll prove right. Maybe get it, bring, keeping attention going is the way to go. Meanwhile, the Green Party, I'm happy to announce on uh, – over this weekend, uh, was able to get on the West Virginia ballot. So they're uh, really they're getting, they sent out a big press release. They're very excited about it. And wow! Because I I am really uh, our bosses are considering at CNN Radio uh, perhaps trying to host a debate of the uh, presidential candidates who are not from the Republican or Democrat. Oh, that'd be interesting. The also runs exactly, but then you, you, it's very tricky trying to figure out where you know how how far do you go into the area fifty one. Sure. Oh, no, because then you get guys from, like, the American Socialist White People's Party who are, you know, we demand admission to the... Right, yeah. right. so how do you decide who who would be... I mean, because you want... You're going to have some all over the spectrum, you know, diametrically opposed viewpoints, and that's great. But how do you decide what's legitimate and what's not? So they're they're wrestling with that. But So I immediately had to email my bosses and say, hey, guys, Green Party on the ballot in West Virginia. we got to do this debate. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that didn't seem to convince them yet, but they're still thinking about it. Well, I'm solidly in your corner on this. Hey, good. Uh, See, I really think it'd be interesting. I would no, no, no. Look, let me tell you, I would, I would go home and geek out uh, all night to that. I would, uh, yeah, I would clear my social schedule. Great. And you know, and they were asking me, well, what, what would you get them to talk about? And I said, any? Are you kidding? These folks are just chomping at the bit. You could throw anything out there. You get all, you get all kinds of pinball mayhem. Well, and let it be a true debate. You know, have it lose some of the, I think, overly structured elements. Yes. That the other debates have, where they go out of their way to make sure that nobody fights. I mean, just you know, just, just let them, just let them get up there. I mean, really, yeah. honestly, have them just do it the old school Lincoln Douglas style. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the way that debates actually used to be. Throw some questions back and forth. Yeah, I yeah. think you could do some good stuff. Uh, um, couple, a couple things. What, and I really don't know that much about this, but what is this uh, picture of Obama? That yes. is That's. I mean, that, that, I mean, and are, is, is the Clinton campaign <laughs> even pretending that they didn't put that out, or are they just? I mean. They, you know, we're we're still trying to determine exactly where this has come from, too. But the 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 Obama camp is saying, and I don't know if this is the first time you've brought this up today, but it, it is a picture of Obama in what looks to be Muslim dress. It was actually when he was visiting Africa, and 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 he, you know, he was wearing kind of ceremonial garb, right. you know, on this, you know, kind of friendship visit, uh, it, you know. As, as his hosts, I guess, had wanted him to do, and as he wanted to do, you know, it's just what you do. You, you, you it's what you do. You it, on the feathers. You do what you got to do. It's what you do. But but the that that photo has been sent around uh, and purportedly by by Clinton staffers and and trying to sort of get this idea of oh hey remember his middle name's Hussein and we've talked about this before. Right. Really, there is there still is in this country uh, a 
very serious perception, especially among conservatives uh, that who, who who may not listen to the Rick Emerson show, all of them. Uh, that Barack Obama is Muslim. And so they're feeding that perception. Well, now, did that all start, this, that whole thing that, you know, he was educated at a madrasa. Okay. Did That's... that all start with some, like, one bad fake email? I mean, where did that start? Do we know? Well, it started with the fact that he was educated in Indonesia, and he was educated in a in a in the world's most populous Muslim nation. And and so the school that he went to was a public school, uh, but there 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 was a assumption that it was a madrasa and that it was actually a, a religious school, an Islamic school, which it was not. And somebody made that assumption, and I, I think it may have been an email, but I'm not sure. It's hard to pin down where these things start. And then it was all over uh, all over the press circuit and, in fact, in some legitimate news operations reporting yeah. on uh, this supposed madrasa that he was educated in. And, of course, in CNN, we sent um, our reporter who's often in Beijing to Indonesia to check out the school and found out it was public school. Right. Well, no, and, and, yeah, and but, yeah, so, but I think that's still hanging around from that, this idea that he's Muslim. And so now they've got him wearing what sort of looks like uh, Islamic garb. Jesus. And and it, it's just really, it really is a, how, wherever this came from, it really is a sort of, a colleague of mine was saying today, Wow, he's fighting people that you know you just don't know you're in a knife fight until you you see the blood is all over. Oh no, that's but see that's the thing. Well, first of all, I noticed that he actually has gone out of his way to use the phrase variations on the phrase blah 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 Jesus is my savior uh, a few times. I mean, it, it, which is sort of a, a passive attempt to sort of you know I am not a Muslim. Um, that's right. But man, this when I saw the photo, I exactly I thought exactly the same thing when I saw this picture this morning. That I mean, you, uh, I mean I think you I'm know sure. it's one of those. It also I mean there, there's there's a couple of things to say about the photo. I mean, it's it's a pretty ignorant photo because it it really is a style of dress right. that that is not is, is not Muslim necessarily at all. And it also, for people who haven't seen the photo, it also kind of reminds you of the sort of headdress that you might see uh, people in the movie Gandhi wearing. Well, it isn't George. I mean, George Bush did a trip to Africa. Is is are there not now a bunch of photographs of George Bush out, sort of in you know what what we might call local garb? Yes, that's true. So I mean, you know, it's just right. what you, uh, yeah. I mean, it's what you do. Clearly, the photo. The facts behind the photo are innocuous and mean nothing. But as you just said, it is one of those things where you look at it, and man, I mean, you when you when you go up against the Clintons, I mean, you show up to play because I mean, they, they it is not a, it is not a scrimmage uh, when you're against them. You know what I mean? That's exactly what it is. You are not a sparring no. partner when yeah, you're, you're in the you, ring with them. You could be in, in the middle of a large room with all the lights on, but you've got to just keep turning around yeah. to check all the corners. Because because at some point Jeff Galuli is sneaking up behind you with a tire iron, uh, and uh, you know, and you're going to be walking around with a limp for the next six months. So Jesus, it really is. It's fascinating yeah, I mean, to watch. You, you probably did catch in the in the Drudge Report article. The response from that they received apparently from the Clinton campaign. I, I actually didn't. I actually I was running kind of late today, so I barely saw the photo and I read the okay. slog basically. Well, it's is fascinating, also very classic kind of politics that uh, the Hillary Clinton's campaign manager responded in saying that it didn't flat out deny that the the photo had nothing to do with them, but but said. If Barack Obama's campaign wants to suggest that a photo of him wearing traditional Somali clothing is divisive, then they should be ashamed. Oh! How about that? Look at that! And then Hillary Clinton has worn the traditional <laughs> clothing of countries she has visited, and those photos published widely. Okay, now that's genius because then it, it puts it? that's a little jujitsu, is what that is, because it puts him in the position of not being able to criticize the photo. Because if he criticizes the photo, then the implication is he is somehow 
labeling the garments as being themselves polarizing or inflammatory. It's on. It's re, it really jujitsu is the right word. It's pretty well done to the Clintons on that one. I mean, in a strictly political sense. But you know, in the end, though, <laughs> I, I think her her problem is people still see them, even that little like wah, you know, little move. They still see them as kneecappers, and even in that, yeah. you know. So she's she's still not getting away from that image that they're no. all hardball and little crafty little twists. But they just words. can't help themselves. That's the thing. They just can't help themselves. They can't. But they're very. They are unbelievably talented at it. It's true. The problem with Hillary, though, in this campaign is that if she doesn't attack him, you know, then then she's hosed. But if she, every time she does, it just furthers that image of her as an as a, a an, an insider, as an institutional politician. She's got to take. I don't know if I, I know. Actually, I do know. I know you didn't watch the Klitschko fight this weekend that was on. But uh, but a lot of that was the whole fight was essentially a lot of jabs, and it was one on jabs, and that that's what Hillary. Hillary oh, there's, sorry about that. Uh, and that's what Hillary Clinton is is trying to do. And that's what she tried to do in the debate in Texas uh, was throw just a couple jabs. The audience recognized it, did not like oh, yeah. it, but that's what she's doing. And I'm trying to pull up. I just received an email a couple minutes ago. On Okay, here we go. The latest poll out of Texas, and we've talked about this before, that Texas is do or die for Hillary Clinton. Latest poll from CNN coming out. Oh, can I tell you about this poll? Oh, I can't. Sure you, sure you can. I can't. It's embargoed for another hour. Let me let me let's do this Woodward and Bernstein style. Okay, let's so, do. So uh, I will uh, tell you what I think the poll says, and uh, if I'm uh, correct, you just say nothing. Okay. Is that how they did it? I forget. Um, yeah, and I think it was Dustin Hoffman. So if you can actually, if the, sto- if the story's good, I'm gonna count to ten. And if the story's good, if we can go with it, um, you just, I'm, I'm gonna count to ten. And you just, you'll still be there. Okay? Are we clear? Ten? Are we clear? Yeah, um, clear. All right. So. Um, Let's see. So the latest poll puts, um, I don't even know. I would say the latest poll puts Obama up by a couple. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, I, I, okay. <laughs> um, I know you've got to run here, so we'll have to put this up for the next time we talk. But I have, I don't know if I told you this, but a listener has come up with. Yes, you're teasing me. Yeah, the, the, my radio voice, or my voice, what it sounds like on the radio. The celebrity whom you most resemble in an aural sense. And I have to say, he's nailed it. He really is. And you'll appreciate it, too. It's someone you are not expecting, but you will appreciate the comparison. I'll tell you that. Okay. All right. So are you on tomorrow? Yes. All right. We will talk to you then, and I'll pay it off tomorrow then. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. There you go. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic. Wonderful. Excellent. It's a good day to be alive, Sarah. Yes, indeedy, Rick Emerson. All right. Tim, have ye prepared news for us? Yes. Huzzah! Zuta Lures. Uh, let's take a break here. I'll be back after this. 503-733-2970. Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, Later on, Peter Carlin, Geek Watch, Corpse Watch, all of that. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Show. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. I want my toilet baby. The man who made me the father that baby found in the toilet once custody of the baby girl he didn't even know existed. 
The baby was found in the toilet of Meadow Park Health and Specialty Care Center in St. Helens. And detectives think 21-year-old Jennifer Annette St. John trying to kill the infant shortly after giving birth. Uh, in a custody hearing uh, to be held in Columbia County Court, Jason Minor, who's 20, said he learned about the child from his father after police contacted his family. He said he named her Taylor Elmira St. John and planned to take a paternity test. He said he dated this woman for several months within the past year, but didn't know that she had gotten pregnant. You know, if you impregnate a woman who likes to put babies in toilets, you ought yourself not be allowed to, uh, to have the kid. So the father of that child, uh, first of all, we, we shouldn't forget about the other child. The other child is a three-year-old boy. He has been uh, put in the loving hands of state authorities. Raised by the, raised by the warm embrace of now, the government. The, the father of that child, Randolph Anderson was requesting custody of that child, but a search of his history shows he was convicted of contributing to the sexual delinquency of a minor when this girl was 17. That's great. So uh, she has a wonderful life, and and has one, so uh, things can only get better. <laughs> these kids kids are destined for great things in the story, I can just tell. All these folks in St. Helens, man. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, three people have been injured at a stabbing party in Clackamas. One man clinging to life, another critical but stable... A third is in jail following a fight at a party in Clackamas. This happened at the Sunnyside Park Apartments on Southeast Fuller Road. And there was a part of a fight that started when 23-year-old Hogar Mendonitis, a Portland allegedly physically assaulted a woman. She called in family members and a fight broke out. Somebody pulled a knife and stabbed two men. Uh, and uh, one man is being held on two counts of attempted murder. So uh, stay away from those Clackamas parties. Nothing good comes out of that anyway. A baggage handler at PDX has been accused of stealing two firearms from passengers' bags. Charles Dean Miller III is indicted for taking a rifle and a pistol from a secure area that he had access to. Uh, police said he made a crucial mistake that gave him away. They say when he broke into one of the gun cases, he accidentally dropped his car keys inside. <laughs> so police traced the keys to him. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing what police can do. Really? I was going to say, there's no amount of police work that is the equivalent to the guy you're chasing just being a goddamn idiot. Mm. Uh, passengers of PDX were surprised by the theft. Uh, airport officials say they can legally check a gun. I, I should say, you can legally check a gun in your bag, but there are many rules to follow, including locking the unloaded weapon in a solid cider container. That was going to be my question. Is how you, I didn't think you could check a gun at all, but I guess if you put it in a gun case or something, mm -hmm. you can do that? Mm-hmm. And then pray that it's not manhandled by some minimum wage with a gun. Let's see. I do have some more airline-related stories here. Fantastic. Uh, British Airline said one of its flights was forced to divert to Turkey after the co-pilot died in mid-flight. He died of natural causes. It was carrying 156 people from Manchester to Cyprus uh, that landed in Istanbul. And what was termed a medical emergency. Yes, yeah, do you think? Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly the conversation you want to hear when the cockpit doors sort of open. The no, I can't get a pulse at all. They no. were never in any danger. Clear. That's, Jesus. It's like one of those. It's one of those moments where the where the uh, the stewardess or whatever just opens the door to go into the cockpit. And you see the guy on the floor doing like the chest compressions. Two, three, three. Live, damn it, live. American Airlines is disputing the account of a man who said his hus uh, her, uh, his cousin died aboard a flight after she was twice refused oxygen. He also claimed that medical devices, including two oxygen tanks, uh, tanks did not work. Struggling to breathe, the passenger, who had heart disease, asked for oxygen, but was initially denied, said her cousin. <laughs> I need oxygen. No. 
Don't let me die. First class only. <laughs> because in pleaded, <laughs> saying the attendant refused to first administer the... This is quite some tale here. He said the flight attendant uh, finally relented, but various medical devices on the plane did not work, including two oxygen tanks that were found to be empty. And uh, American Airlines confirms the death, but said uh, medical uh, professionals tried to save her. The airline spokesman said there were 12 oxygen tanks on the plane, and crews checked them before the flight just to make sure that they were working. And at least two were used on this woman. American Airlines has determined that oxygen was administered on the aircraft. It was working, so they just died. And I, th- I think I believe the airline this time. Do you ever wonder uh, where that, um, that air comes from in that little thing above your seat that you turn and it blows air on you? Where does that air come from? I always turn it off. But, I mean, is that air that's just taken right out of the cabin? Is that air from a special tank of clean air somewhere? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you always kind of think when you're on the plane, you're like, I'm just breathing all the germs of these 300 people. But, I mean, if you turn that little thing on above you, uh, is that just like, is it just taking all of the bad, filthy air and compressing it and blowing it right into your face, like right into your breathing area? I guess so. It's just an interesting thing. I never leave it off. No, I, I often don't. Uh, it, it, it's, I will do that when the plane is uh, sitting on the runway because, because it always seems to be hot for some reason. But I always wonder if there's like a special tank or something that, that is providing that. Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. Uh, so another uh, bicyclist has been hit again. And the driver of the vehicle was 16 years old. This happened in Northeast this morning and then took off. Uh, it was a hit and run. Uh, the team was caught. He was found about four blocks from the scene and taken into custody. He had no driver's license and no insurance. The cyclist was taken to Providence Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. His name has not yet been released. He was hit at Northeast 47th and Thompson Street. Have they identified the uh, the kid, the 16-year-old? They have, but he's underage. Oh, I see. So they we can't. So they know who it is, but we can't say it. Yeah, they, they caught his name. All right. Uh, earlier this month, the cyclist was hit at Northeast 47th and Brassy, just a block north of this morning's crash. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, uh, two things. Uh, one, you were just talking about the airliners and stuff like that, and it's like if they can get a HEPA filter in my living room for 150 bucks, you know what I mean, a vacuum cleaner? You, you know what I mean? If you get a HEPA-grade machine for the household, you'd think the airlines would have something that they could just sort of, you know, yeah, it should be the cleanest air you can That's get. That's a fair question, actually, because in the, in, on an airplane, as opposed to like in your house, it's a finite amount of air. Exactly. It's and just so the it, air in the plane, and I guess they have air in... Okay, now this raises another interesting question. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a refresh. I'm sure they probably are. I'm sure they're feeding in oxygen constantly once you get up to yeah, they, whatever. Yeah, they must, right? Because otherwise we would all pass out because we breathe all up all the oxygen. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, uh, yeah, but if, but if, yeah, if you can buy a really, really industrial strength filter for your home for less than 200 bucks. It seems like they ought to be able to do that on an airplane. So airplane air ought to be really clean. It should be, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, because uh, when you think of it, you think of airliner air as being the dirtiest air because you're on an international flight and if somebody's got TB, you know, I mean, it could just be anywhere right, yeah. or whatever. Uh, the reason I called, actually, was because uh, on your show, I think it was Thursday or Friday last week, you folks were mentioning Breaking Bad. Uh, it was, yeah, Peter oh. Carlin was talking about that on Friday. My God. I, I watched, like, are there <laughs> four episodes? I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, my God. I, I, I just went to watch them, and it was just like, it's just like a rubber band is twisting tighter and tighter and tighter, and it's just like about every 15, it's just like, it's just, it's you just when you think it's you're a, losing control of the power of speech, sir. It's just amazing. It's a, it's I love it. I absolutely. And love it's it. on what? It's on A and E or something. 
I don't know. I, I watch it. Are you watching it illegally online? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Well, but anyway, for you. an amazing As long as it's show, not a CBS I... show, feel free to do that. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise, I... I think it's on A&E, actually. No, everybody has sort of said that I need to watch it. So I just finished season one of Dexter. Apparently season two, though, is already in progress. So I'm going to try to catch up on that. It's not only is it one of those shows that you can't stop thinking about the next day, but it's got my stomach all tied up. Excellent. That's the mark of a good program. 24 hours later, exactly. Wonderful show. Thanks, everybody. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. All right, here's Hi. Tim Riley. Now, Portland police are looking into an elaborate theft at a local Mac station. It's good to know that security's been picked up to no, stop they, all these things. They've really, they've really cleaned those places up. You know, I saw cops on the max like one day, and then everything was back to normal again. <laughs> so they do like one pass through. Yeah. When they know KGW is out somewhere with cameras. <laughs> and then it's back to normal. Well, early this morning, a TriMet worker noticed some signals were not working at the Gateway Transit Center. So they sent in a tank to investigate, and they found out that 150 feet of cable had been cut out no. and stolen from the tracks. Really? The cable had been used to power the track signals. Oh, this sounds pretty <laughs> sick. This sounds like the worst thing ever. So, so apparently, the crews put a temporary fix on the problem, whatever that might be. Like Somebody standing there with a stop sign. Yeah, a guy standing there with a bike reflector waving it. Uh, so Portland police would like to speak to anyone who saw anything. Of course, nobody ever sees anything. Stop snitching. Mm -hmm. And I and look at. I guess all these cameras are really helpful that they put out there. The Gateway Transit Center is at Northeast 99th Avenue and Pacific behind Fred Meyer. There's no security and nobody to stop anybody from doing whatever they want. Your life is worth nothing there. Mm -hmm. uh, I enter ye, enter at your own risk, all ye who. Uh, I'm just waiting for the inevitable when somebody steals the cameras. You know that's coming too, because the cameras are made out of metal. You, you, I mean, you know that there's somebody steals the brakes. Yeah, the. <laughs> The last thing that the camera's going to record is a guy in a ski mask and a hacksaw reaching up. Just taking it right off. Jesus. Yeah, just stay away from that place. I'm sorry. I know we got people who listen to us who work for TriMet, but come on. Let's let's not let's not delude ourselves about the nature of things. So anyway, uh, the discovery of a... Uh, oh, this happened at Laurelhurst Park. Apparently, they found a lady in the water. She vanished February 8th. He became upset and jumped onto a TriMet bus. It was the last time anybody saw this woman uh, live. Her name was Heidi Anderson. Looks like a young lady. Uh, family and friends uh, combed the area. They found nothing. And then uh, Portland Police Bureau had planned to drain it this week. But they found the body. And uh, the drainage plan has been canceled. So they found her. Apparently, she was walking through the park Sunday afternoon. And she walked around the corner and jumped in the water. So that's that. I don't know how you drown like that, but you do. Uh, several good Samaritans rushed to help a stranger over the weekend after she rolled her car and got her hair, not just her hair, but her head, pinned underneath the door frame. Ouch. Oh! But there's kind of a happy ending here. She was not breathing, and others uh, came upon the wreck at Southwest River Road and Southwest Farmington Road on the west side around 10.30 in the morning. They were able to push the 2006 Pontiac Grand Prix partially off, allowing her to start breathing on her own. Then the men from the uh, nursery across the street brought over a forklift to keep the weight off her until rescue workers arrived to free her. Excellent. Uh, so she's not in very good shape, but they did try. So that's that. It's like one of those Bruce Banner things where, you know, you're tapping into the superhuman strength that all humans have. The is that that's one of those things that I wish that the Discovery Channel or somebody would do a little like a documentary about about those stories where it's like I, and then I saw my child trapped underneath a burning train and I lifted the whole train up and the boy came out. That's one of those things that you hear about so anecdotally and of course to my generation it's always it's synonymous with the opening credits to the Incredible Hulk. Uh, so I wish that somebody would do an investigation about that about whether it actually is possible 
to lift something that's like 90 billion pounds or whatever when you're really, like, if you're in that straight, state of mind, like if you're adrenalized. And I hear right. women can do that. If, like, one of their children are in danger. That, that's the thing. It's like you always hear that about the, the, the kid who's stuck underneath a car or something, mm-hmm. and then the mom reaches down and, you know, by the power of Grayskull or what, it like lifts up the car. Yep. Uh, so I always wonder if that's actually true or if that's just some crap that's been passed around, like a bad science uh, that's just been passed around forever. Let's see. Uh, I are on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, uh, two things. One, yes, you can check weapons through uh, airports. Excellent. Oh, sure. uh, long guns have to be in a you know in a locked case and a big one. Uh, if you're carrying a handgun, uh, also has to be in a locked case in your checked baggage. Uh, you know, both needs to be checked, but you need to declare that at the ticket. Now, counter. isn't that okay? Now let me ask you this. I would be even if I I mean I do not own a gun, uh, and I don't think I would have cause to travel with one. But if I did. I wonder if you're still a little apprehensive, even when you're just declaring it. Like, I'm, well, you know you're, what I mean? Well, you're just, I mean, it's not like you're standing there going, I have a weapon. No, but I mean, uh, how do you, know, it's just, how I mean, do you say it? You're just telling the ticket person that, you know, yes, there is a weapon in here. Uh, you need to tell them what it is that you've done to it, you know, that it is in a locked, hard-sided case, and they're going to see it when it goes through that thing anyway. I think I would be so afraid, though, that as soon as the word weapon came out of my mouth, you know, there would be like an alarm that would go off and some guys would gang tackle me. Like, I would be standing there going, oh, by the way, now I, you know, the sentence is like, I do have a gun in my luggage. Like, as soon as I got, by the way, I do have a gun. He's got a gun! You know, and yeah. suddenly, suddenly I'm down in like a four-point sprawl on the floor. Well, okay. Uh, number two is I called last Friday about uh, how astronauts go number two in space. Yes. I don't know if you ever got an answer to that. Uh, we did, actually. It's a suction okay. toilet. Yes, it is. I was going to say I could read read to you out of my uh, space shuttle operator's manual if you wished, but uh, 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 we do appreciate the effort. We got that taken care of, though. By the way, just there's a little bonus for you because you called in about guns. Are you a fan of the late great Sam Kinison? Uh, yes. All right. So I, this wasn't. I don't think this was on any of his albums. I think this was on. Oh, it might have been on Louder Than Hell, where he talked about having a huge fight, and this is pre 9/11, having a huge fight with his girlfriend at one point, at, right before he went out of town to go on the road. His, his girlfriend packed his luggage and packed a loaded 38 right, right in his bag without telling him. And so he's he's going through the airport and, you know, and just la, la, la. yeah, just puts the bag right through uh, right through the x-ray. And the next thing he hears is like, you know, he's got a gun. And like the nine guys come out of there and immediately like pinning him on the ground. So That's standing. Uh, That's awesome. Sam. Thank you, sir. All right. There you go. Uh, do one more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Um, I just wanted to clarify that uh, show Breaking Bad is on AMC. AMC, American Movie Classics. Right. It's on right. Sunday nights at 10. AMC, from the network that brought you Mad Men. Excellent. I'm all over that. Yes, it's a fabulous show. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks. All right, there you go. All right, here's Tim Riley. A man fighting with his girlfriend clung to the car roof and punched her through the window as she drove more than a mile on a busy road. <laughs> Both were hurt in the brawl and uh, were arrested. The man, William Kramer, apparently jumped into the car and held on to his girlfriend, Stacy, wove along Route Highway 202 in upstate New York. With the car's airbag inflated, she eventually stopped the car and hit him with it. Uh, let's see, she's been arrested in felony. Uh, Rick was it seems like you wouldn't want to be punching the person who's driving the car on which you are riding. That seems like a little uh, hoist by your own petard there. And the airbag, let me ask you this. Do, you guys, uh, do your cars have airbags? Yes. Yes. Are you afraid every time you bump something it's going to go off? No, it's a Volvo. Uh-uh. What's that mean? It's the safest car on the road. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you driving the Macintosh of cars, Tim? I am. <laughs> Listen, because I can hear the same tone of superiority creep into your voice there. If you swap that out with, no, 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 it's a Macintosh. It's exactly the same way you talk about your computer. Are you afraid? No, 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 it's a Volvo. 
smirk. Uh, <laughs> whereas many, many things go wrong with my cars, so I can see that. But I, you know, um, like I, I uh, have a little thing, I don't know, a few months ago, where totally my fault, uh, where I bumped into a guy. Not, not enough to cause, although, you know, now that I think about it, that thing, uh, I've told the story, but it, it, like just a couple months after we got fired last time, in middle mid-2005. Which time? Mid-2005 from Intercom. Oh. Where I, re- I, I smashed into that BMW from behind that the guy had just driven off the lot of Cooney BMW. Like, he'd had it he'd had it for less than two minutes. Right onto the street. Hey, here's my brand new BMW. Here, here I come. And you know what? I bent the F out of the front of my car. I mean, it like, it didn't destroy it. But it really, really messed up the front of my car. Airbag didn't deploy. So which begs the question, like, how hard do you have to hit something? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I suppose there's an answer. Don't call about it. I don't care that much. But it, but it, it is interesting, actually, because I had, you know, uh, not whiplash, but, I mean, I was sore for the next couple of days. I mean, it, it sort of screwed with me a little bit. Um, but it bent. I mean, my car is made of, you know, metal, and it bent the hell out of my, my hood, uh, but the airbag didn't go off. Now I'm kind of wondering if now I'm kind of wondering if the airbag even works. That is odd. Yes, it is. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, police in a Chicago suburb say the IRS has told a seven-year-old boy he owes back taxes of sixty thousand dollars because somebody else has been using his identity to collect wages and unemployment benefits. They said the second graders identity has been used by somebody else since two thousand one. They filed a felony identification theft charge against twenty-one-year-old Cyril Contento of Steamwood, Illinois. They accuse him of using the boy's personal information to collect more than $60,000 in paying services while working three jobs. He also used the boy's ID to buy a track, pay bills, and even collect unemployment benefits. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. That show that you were talking about that they should uh, put on Discovery Channel? Yeah, tell me that Mythbusters has done that or something. No, they actually have a special on it. They're actually airing a show exactly like you were talking about. Uh, what's it called? I don't remember, but it's done like bodywork style. Like where it shows exactly what they're doing, like what happens in the body. So is it now? Is it is about uh, people doing sort of extreme feats? Well, no. Well, yeah, it shows what can happen when your adrenaline gets going. Okay. Like and shows exactly how your body reacts to it. And it was this week. I don't remember what it's called. All right, Discovery Channel. But if you okay. watched it, if you watched the Discovery Channel, you would know. All right, my wife is uh, going out of town again, so I'll have lots of free bachelor time. So maybe I'll uh, do what I always do, which is just eat bad frozen pizzas and watch the Discovery Channel. All right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm glad you approved. Uh, Where was she traveling to this time? Back to lovely Orem, Utah, Tim. The home of that, uh, you know, of, of nothing. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hey, yeah, that guy stole my thunder. There's this show on Discovery Channel. Just check it up on the internet. Now, do you know, what it's, do you know what it's called, though? Uh, it's like human body experience. Or I can't exactly remember, but it starts, at least tomorrow evening. Oh, excellent. So Just in time. Bye, honey. Uh, all right, so Discovery Channel. Excellent. Okay, that, that is that is fortuitous then. All right, thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Here's Tim Riley. A backhoe has cracked through the ice in the pond in Rochester, Wisconsin, with a driver inside. A scuba diving team has come in. Apparently, the driver might have been confused. He thought he was just driving through a puddle, a tunnel, <laughs> or a puddle, and not a pond. They train in cold water through the ice dives. They have the proper equipment. They were dispatched immediately also. They were in the water. And for some reason couldn't get to the cab. So there's some heavy equipment there trying to right the backhoe so we can get to the driver. Is everyone okay? No, he's missing. Well, it's oh. a quarry runs all year. I want my phone. Uh, naturally, there's less work being done in the winter months. But forty to 50,000 pounds, boy, I don't know how thick ice would have to be to support that. 
So he thought he was driving through a, a, a small that puddle. That sounds like an onion sound bite there. <laughs> okay. Are there any further questions? I was going to make fun, but the guy's missing, so no, I'm not going to do that. But it's kind of his own fault, actually. We've had record amounts of snowfall here, and it's hard to tell where you know um, the ground is and where it isn't. There has been some warmer weather where we had rain, so we have puddles on the ground that are now frozen. That's from Wisconsin. They should be used to that out there. I guess. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? Well, whatever. All right. Like why? That's why I never went ice fishing growing up. My dad drugged me out ice fishing once. That was enough for me. Thank you. No. I know I'm less than a man and all, but seriously, no. No, thank you. I didn't mind if I was inside the little house with a stove. Yeah, the little camping thing. I mean, ice fishing. It's just I was always I was always just in fear uh, that I was going to do the ice. Yeah, exactly. As I was. Which is an exact, a totally rational fear. And you know what? The people can think I'm a call me a, you know call me a pussy, call me whatever. I did that once, and then I said uh, thank you. No, no more for me. And there's a lot, of, a lot of manual labor involved in cutting a hole in ice. Seriously, I'm like, how bored are you? What should we do? Let's go cut a hole in some ice <laughs> and sit there with a piece of string hanging in the water. I mean, it was, you know, it's what those things always are. It's just an excuse to go drink somewhere, except this time inside a little cabin. Which is what I'm not knocking fishing. It's just not for me. It's, not, it's certainly not during the middle of winter sitting on the ice. Well, that's the only time you can go ice fishing. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I'd say, my wife has never been fishing ever. Uh, so at some point I told Laura that I have to take her fishing, like you know when spring comes around. Uh, she and I are gonna, you know, we'll, we'll like rent, we'll rent some tackle and so forth, and we'll go, uh, you know, we'll actually go fishing somewhere around here, uh, just because she's never done it and it's sort of, you know, it's like an American thing, I guess it is part of the outdoors experience. But uh, ice fishing is just, I did that once and that was enough to realize it held no appeal to me whatsoever. Want to hear about this guy buried in the avalanche in Alaska? No. Uh, Ian Wilson did the right thing to survive the avalanche. Uh, apparently, he's uh, 24 years old, and uh, he had a number of reporters leaving voice messages for him. Ian Wilson was buried under four feet of snow, about 65 miles outside of Anchorage, for some 40 minutes. When searchers pulled him out, he was blue and unconscious. He quickly revived and apparently had no injuries. So, uh, apparently, both he and his dad are mountaineers. But, uh, uh, I'm sorry. And, uh, let's see, Ian works at a wilderness therapy camp in Idaho and uses time off to meet co- uh, college friends in Alaska. The skiers went downhill at one time, so only one was exposed as the avalanche hit at the bottom each S. So Ian decided to ride it out, skiing 700 uh, feet above the moving snow. Also, he tried... He tried to ski an avalanche. Right. Good for him. But eventually, the snow covered him. Oh. Is he dead? No. Okay. He's fine. All right. So he carried a beacon. It enabled his friends to find him quickly. Well, so you know that he then he did it right. Mm-hmm. He took a little one of those little motion, you know, the GPS, the beacon things, so they could find him. Not like all of those dicks that get lost up on Mount Hood. That you know, shall we take this beacon? That's only thirty-five dollars. No, no, no. Let's rough it. Uh, and then those are the guys that you don't find until the spring thaw. Uh, by the way, this guy says, Rick, there's a show starting up on March second. The human body pushing the limits is the name of it. Looks like it'll be showing exactly how people summon super strength and have extreme physical abilities. Looks really cool. So there you go. It's called Human Body Pushing the Limits. That'll be on the Discovery Channel. Uh, Excellente. Here's Tim Riley. Human Body Pushing the Limits? Pushing the Limits. I'll try to... Well, I'll try you to try to catch it. Uh, let's see. This is from K-Tube. And I always admit when I seal their stories, because they're interesting sometimes. Uh, they uncovered a story of a woman with a portfolio of 228 unpaid parking tickets, totaling over $5,000 in fines. They also tried to track down 10, well, some 20 drivers with a long list of unpaid parking tickets and not so easy to find. So apparently, unpaid parking tickets are costing our fair city $24 million. I think I have some of those, actually. What? How they, many? You have 228? No. 
Is there somebody with 228? Yeah. Do you ever have to pay those? I mean, do they send you to collections? I don't know. I've never had one. You've never I had a parking ticket? No. Does your Volvo, like, feed money to the meter for you? This, this, this is your MacBook. Get, like, put out little electronic legs and walk over to the meter. Well, I live in the suburbs where there, there are no parking meters. Oh, you don't spend a lot of time in Portland proper anyway, like in the metro area. I do every day. But I mean, but not, but you, but you don't take your car here is my point. No, not Like, you're not parking downtown a lot. No. Um, and that's the point. Oh, Jesus, don't even get me started. Uh, this weekend again, again, you know that stupid thing downtown where a whole bunch of those spaces were just marked off with those little red and white signs that say, all day, every day, no parking, tow-away zone, being kept open and for nothing. You're being used for nothing. So, Jesus. Oh, and they put those uh, Taliban things in the, the red hoods meters. over the parking meters, yeah. which would be fine if they were ever actually being used. They're not. They're just being kept open just to F with you, just because they hate you. Uh, so, it, but they must send you to collections eventually, although I don't think, I mean, I'm pretty sure that my wife and I have some outstanding parking tickets, but I don't think we've ever been contacted about it. My wife is way worse than I am, by the way. She just got another speeding ticket the other day, too. What's the best way to contact you? Um, general delivery, Portland, Oregon. My wife got a third, my wife got the third speeding ticket inside of a year, uh, Last week, by the way, which uh, it means that uh, that are they're kind of like going to f us on our insurance rates. So, it, I am despite the fact that I hit a BMW one time, um, my, I'm actually a, a fairly good driver in the sense that I it's been years and years and years since I've been pulled over. I can't remember the last ticket I got actually. I mean, it's been it's probably been five or six years since I got a ticket for anything. Um, but uh, I mean, I've, I can't even remember the last time I was pulled over. My wife has been pulled over for speeding, which she is guilty of, by the way. It's not. It's not like it's some sort of a no, no, no. It's a faulty. She just speeds like a bastard, um, and she speeds. She speeds it, and then it, it, in just places where you know there are cops for whatever reason. Anyway, so she comes home the other day. It's she was really late getting him from work, and she walks in sullenly doing that thing that you've seen some holding that long ass trail of electronic paper that they give you the tickets on now, like sadly setting it down on the television. She's going in and getting herself a big bottle of red wine. So how much is a speeding ticket? Jesus, man, it's like two hundred and forty dollars now for speeding. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Do you get a discount if you have more than one? Well, if you get them in bulk. If I buy three speeding tickets, can I get the fourth one free? No, uh, she got like a third speeding ticket, and of course, it, what always sucks then is you have like a real Hobson's choice. You can either just pay the two hundred and forty dollars or whatever, which sucks because then you're giving the man two hundred and fifty dollars of your hard-earned money, or you can, wait for it, take a day off from work so you can go to traffic court. And going to traffic court is the worst thing on earth. I can't think of, uh, I mean, I, I, I cannot think of another thing. Does it have a zany judge making wise crap? No, the judge is never zany. The judge is always either really boring or really nice. And somehow when it's really nice, it's kind of worse. Especially if you're like my wife and a repeat offender, because you know she goes, she feels all guilt-ridden. But when you go to traffic court, here's the first thing: when you go to traffic court, you know, a you have to take a day out of your life, and it's like taking a sick day when you're really sick. It sucks because can you, you go to traffic school? Nah, well I don't know. In they, California, I got do to they go do to, that? In California, I got to go to comedy traffic school, and it was put on by these stand-up comedians from the comedy school. Comedy traffic school, mm -hmm. really? Uh -huh. It was fun. <laughs> Two guys run into a pole. <laughs> Um, so the, uh, 
but you have to take a whole day out of your life, go to traffic court, sit there with just the scum of the freaking earth, and there you are too. And look, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than everybody, but I'm better than some people. Let's not let's not be honest. I like the people on the Hawthorne bus. Yeah, let's yeah let's not delude ourselves about that. Most of us, uh, most of us right here, with the sound of my voice, about 80% of the people right now, we're better than most of the people in traffic court. You know, because the people in traffic court are all because it's not just traffic court, right? When you go to get your 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 um, ticket taken care of. It's, you know, people who sped, and then there's, like, the idiot who's been busted for driving with a suspended license for the ninth time while having 50 pounds of meth in his trunk. Sex offenders, row three. Exactly. exactly. And, of course, you are always the last one called. Simple and assault, back of the room. They, they tell you, okay, you want to be here at uh, 8.30, that's court time. But, of course, they never call you until 2 in the afternoon, so you're sitting there just watching, like, every backward-ass F on the planet get up there and just, well, um... So I, I was heading over to my girlfriend's house, and uh, I just got done. Uh, they all sound like that guy from Office Space. Yeah, I'm putting up the drywall there at the new McDonald's. And they've all got like a pack of cigarettes rolled up in their sleeve. And you're sitting there going, these are my peers today. These are my people. Anyway, I don't have to do it, but she does. And then, But you have to suffer that indignity just on the off chance that the judge feels sorry for you and cuts it by like 50%. So... It doesn't matter if we're going to get effed out of it on our insurance rates, which are undoubtedly going to skyrocket now regardless. Here's Tim Riley. Angelina Jolie is really pregnant. The actress created a stir at Saturday Night Spirit Awards when she showed up with Brad Pitt on her arm and had a noticeable pregnant bulge. She ignored reporters' questions on the award show, but she was uh, she says she's thrilled to be adding to her brood. Brood. And, and this one does not come from Africa. Uh, Jolie and Pitt are parents of one-year-old Shiloh and three children, either from Cambodia, Ethiopia, or Vietnam, give or take a couple countries. Uh, their adopted children's names are Maddox, Pax, and Zahara. So there. Uh, does it really say brood? Yeah, I'm brood. pretty sure chickens. I'm sure that's a thing. I think that's a thing that chickens do. I think chickens have a brood. Or a coop. All right. Did you know an Oregon filmmaker won an Academy Award? No. His name is Brad Bird. Oh, I didn't know uh, that he's from Corvallis, right? He is. He's a Corvallis High School graduate. Uh, he was a winner last night. Don't even get me started on that. He directed uh, Ratatouille and took home the award for the best animated feature film. Uh, how he much previously I... made the Academy Award winner, The Incredibles. You know what else he made? Well, no. first of all, he's made, like, everything good in the last 20 years. Like, every every good animated film you've seen in the last 15 years, Brad Bird. Not just The Incredibles. Uh, not just Ratatouille, he made The Iron Giant, uh, which is like reason, like even if he had only ever made The Iron Giant and then died, uh, he would already be one of the great filmmakers of all time. Just, just based on that. In fact, I just got an email this morning from a guy who watched The Iron Giant based on us talking about it and just, of course, he just loved it. Um, I forgot that he was from Corvallis. Uh, I got to, you know, Brad Bird is number, let's see, two on my list of like 80 Oscar observations. Um, I'll wait. I'll wait and I'll get to it, though. I got a bunch of Oscar observations, but uh, he was really great, though. He was uh, he was very gracious and he's funny and he's and he's a genius. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, the guy's a flat out freaking genius. So good for him. Were we supposed to take a break? You know, it's like uh, twelve thirty. We probably should. Sarah, let's take a break. All right. We'll take a break here. Back after this, more uh, Tim Riley. Do we have a lot of Oscar stuff coming up at some point? Oh yes. All right. Fantastic. Back after this, ladies and gentlemen. Later on, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian Geek Watch Corps. Watch all of that and uh, more Oscar talk around the corner. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere.
the Rick Emerson radio program. 503-733-2970. It is uh, Monday coming up later on. Peter Carlin for the Oregonian. Geek Watch, Corpse Watch. This email says, Rick. It's funny, we were just talking about the Iron Giant. Rick, thank you for recommending the Iron Giant. I saw it this weekend for the first time, and I could not have been more pleased. Talk about a movie that is pure joy. Thank you so much. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Thanks for the show. So, I'll bring All right, good, because I'm going to need an upper after watching Dexter. Here's the thing. is, uh, Yeah. I, I can't. It's, it's. I know this sounds dorky. This, I know this sounds like a dumb statement. But ask people. I think especially guys. It's not a guy movie. But guys do especially latch onto the Iron Giant for some reason. Um, maybe because it's it's you know because it's a it's about kind of a small boy. So so maybe maybe that's why guys sort of you know maybe that's maybe that's why guys get into it. But um, it, it it's so flawless and perfect. It, it, this sounds dumb to say, but the Iron Giant is so great that you almost want to pick the movie up and just like hug it. I mean, it's just it's. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, un- it. Unbelievably good. 12 out of 10 um, in any event. Here is Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. I was here about uh, this John McCain story. McCain said today that in order to win the White House, he must convince the war-weary country that U.S. policy in Iraq is succeeding. If he can't, quote, then I lose. I lose, unquote. I drink your milkshake. And he quickly backed <laughs> off the remark. It's not all that stark, he said. Just let me put it this way. Americans will judge my candidacy first and foremost on how they believe I can lead the country both for our economy and national security. Obviously, Iraq will play a key role in their judgment of my ability to handle the national security situation. Uh, if I may, I'd like to retract the term I'll lose. Once again, I'm retracting the term I'll lose. So he said it, now he's taking it back. Right. Well, he's going to lose anyway. It's not, really, yeah. it's not really a question of will John McCain lose. Uh, right now, it is a question of to whom will he lose and by how much. That's it. There's there's really no way that John McCain is... You know what? I remember uh, back in 96 uh, when I was in Utah, and, uh, you know, and as, as Tom Likas himself would tell you, he, he used to do a much more political show than he does now. You know, he does the whole guy-girl, you know, the relationship thing and pop culture and stuff. But his show, his syndicated show, up until the late, 80, uh, late 90s was really political. It was a very mm-hmm. sort of left-wing uh, political talk show, still fun, but a lot of current events, a lot of politics. Anyway, so in '96, when uh, Bob Dole was running against uh, against Bill Clinton, he did this whole thing where he would let you know he 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 had people call up every day who thought that Bob Dole was going to be president, um, and the D, and he didn't ask for you know he didn't ask for any money, he didn't make them wager. All he made them uh, do as part of the bet was that if Bob Dole lost. He, you know, he, that he had their home phone numbers and they had to come on the air all, you know, all day after the election and admit that they were wrong. And it was astounding the number of people who were, no, 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 Bob Dole's going to be the next president, Tom. Bill Clinton will never be. It's going to be President Dole. And like a solid four hours the day after Bill Clinton was elected, it was nothing. It was fascinating. It was nothing but four hours. Of guys come and go. Well, uh, well, Tom, guess it was wrong about that because you just knew. Like a ninety in in um, in ninety six, you just knew. That Bob Dole would never be president. Never, ever, 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 ever. Wasn't going to happen. So it is with John McCain. Uh, John McCain's not going to be, but the Republicans will never win this fall. Ever. There's nothing they could do to win. He hasn't fall. fallen off stage yet, though. No. And that's the best part. No, but can I just, first of all, I don't mean to sound like I'm knocking on John McCain, because, you know, again, he's, he's been through a lot and, you know, stood up under, uh, you know, under interrogation as a prisoner of war and all of that. And by most accounts, is a pretty... You know, the uh, pretty forward-thinking guy who served his country and, and all of that. That being said, he doesn't seem like he knows where he is about half the time. 
John McCain seems uh, out of it. He seems old. He seems tired. He, maybe you know, maybe it's one of those things. It's like a Mel Tillis thing where he seems uh, confused and fuzzy, but on the inside he's sharp as a tack. I'm suspecting that's not the case, though. Boy, speaking of confused, did you see Harrison Ford last night? No. Wow. So it's not that Harrison Ford seemed old. I mean, he's an older guy. But it's not that Harrison Ford seemed old last night. It's that he seemed drugged. I wish I brought the audio. I forgot to bring it in. Harrison Ford was... In, in my opinion, my estimation, seemed very much like a man who was high on something last night. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, again, it's not like he seemed like an old guy because, you know, I've seen him recently. He talk and seemed, you know, he has it together. But it, clearly uh, somebody uh, mixed medications last night before they went on stage to present. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so uh, Senator Hillary Clinton brought a fiery message to Boston last night. She chided Barack Obama for putting out a campaign brochure that says lies about her health care plan. She was uh, out there trying to raise some money, apparently. Come on, enough is enough. Let's get real here and compare exactly what both of us stand for. <sighs> she blasted her rival's plan for being inadequate. You can't just, you can't just assert that you have a universal health care plan. Go to factcheck.org. They independently have concluded it is not a universal health care plan, Senator Obama. Okay, wow. we will. So it's like listening. It's just what is stop yelling at us. I feel like whenever Hillary plays these sound bites, I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship where I'll do whatever you want, just quit yelling. It's like listening to a chisel. You know what I mean? It's just like wedging its way between the bricks of your brain. God damn. So Hillary wow. staffers are also circulating this uh, photo of Barack Obama dressed as uh, a Middle Eastern or Muslim maid or something like that. He's wearing a, a, a White House dress. I'm uh, not like Mrs. Roper. Uh, hold on, it was me... taken in 2006. Let me see if I can find it. He is uh, dressed as a Somali elder during his visit to Wajar, a rural area of northeastern Kenya. This could be anywhere, really. I'm looking at this now, yeah. So this, this photograph of him, if you can't see this, he's dressed like, um, who's that guy from the uh, Little Orphan Annie movie? I don't know. Who's, who's you know, didn't Daddy Daddy Warbucks have a, uh, some sort of a, a right-hand man? A man, uh, a, a manservant, they used to call them in the movies? Who was that guy? You know, the guy, he was like an Indian guy. It was Daddy Warbucks' assistant. All right, he's oh. an Indian guy. Punjab. Punjab. It's he's wearing an outfit like that guy wears. I saw that. It doesn't even look Annie. like a dress. No, I mean, it's, I mean clearly it is much ado about that. Again, George W. Bush, your president, mm -hmm. is in Africa right now. Did you see that video of him dancing with a bunch of Africans? Yes. George Bush, kind of like, uh, uh, kind of throwing down. But I mean, wearing traditional garb and so forth. Just not unlike. Here's a good another. Here's another example. Like with uh, Nelson Mandela, who obviously he wears that. Whatever it is, uh, you know, it's like a floral, certainly it's like a Nehru shirt or whatever mm -hmm. uh, that he wears. But when Nelson Mandela uh, comes to America, comes to the White House, he wears a suit and tie. Why? You know, you just kind of, you know, where he went in Rome. Uh, so that's kind of all this is. So it, the picture of Barack Obama itself doesn't really mean anything. The fascinating thing, of course, is the story behind the story, which is just how the Clinton campaign, as Lisa was pointing out, they just can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, and they know every time they attack Barack Obama, it makes Hillary look bad, but they just can't help themselves. They, it, they, they have just been doing housework. No, they just, yeah, I mean, they just cannot resist the chance just to try to crush somebody. It is just, it is their nature. You can't just, Ugh. you can't just assert that you have a universal health care plan. Go to fact. Come on, enough is enough. Let's get real here and compare it. You can't just. You can't. Come on, enough is enough. He didn't get out of the cock-a-doodie car. 
Oh, that voice. I wish that I could. terrible voice. I, I gotta find that misery. Oh clip. How do you think Bill God. Clinton feels? <laughs> Seriously. Is it any wonder that Bill Clinton tries to hang out with quiet, passive girls? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, honestly. No, I mean, really. Come on. This is call it what it is. Let's just order pizza and watch a little TV. <laughs> Look, why don't you just be quiet? All right. Make sure you put that bib so you don't get that dress dirty. Anyway, uh,. Well, here's some bad news. Uh, Louis Farrakhan has announced his support for Barack Obama. Oh, now see, now can I just stop? Yes. Now, I forgot to bring this up with Lisa. It really, if the Clinton campaign is smart, that's the thing they will roll out. Mm -hmm. That Louis Farrakhan uh, is endorsing Barack Obama. That's what they ought to use on that. You account. cannot help to raise our people unless you have the mind and the heart of a servant. Excellent. Um, have you ever sat and watched Louis Farrakhan give, uh, you know, like a lot of his, like like one of, his, like on public TV sometimes on Channel 11 or whatever that is, the you know Oregon Public Access, mm. like there'll be people who run like the Black Power Hour or whatever on Sunday mornings, and Laura and I will sit there on the sofa sometimes and watch Louis Farrakhan talk for a whole hour because he's just a great speaker. There's just no, mm. he's a he is a very he's a gifted orator, but the great thing about uh, Louis Farrakhan is that just he's such a good speaker that by the end of the hour, whatever he says, you're agreeing with. So Laura and I on the couch going, that's why he is the devil. Why, by God, he's right. I ought to be destroyed. You know, just, he's, he's just so great, he brings you right over to his side. And the worst news of all, Ralph Nader just can't seem to stay out of it. Descent is the mother of ascent. And in that context, I have decided to run for president. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just ignoring him. If you ignore him, he'll go away. I can't find, okay, i got to get that tonight, then. That he didn't get out of the cock-a-duty car. Because that's exactly what Hillary sounds like. Here's uh, Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. So let's move along to the Oscars. Fantastic. I got 82 different things to say here on KCMD Portland. It was the 80th Annual Academy Awards taking place last night in Hollywood. It clanked in at 3 hours and 18 minutes, and the last 18 minutes were cut off by my DVR. Yeah, but you didn't miss any. Well, wait. What is the last thing you saw? Uh, I saw John Travolta. Oh, doing the uh, best uh, song. Mm -hmm. You missed it. Now, see now, here's the thing. Uh, Tebow, Tim, uh, this is like an Enter Macintosh, Smug Macland. You know, Tim. This has Tim, nothing uh, to do with the Mac. This is the Comcast DVR. I know, but I'm you. saying I can now sound like you do talking about your Mac. I'm okay. talking about my Tebow. You know, the Tebow automatically extended its recording time uh, by an hour to accommodate the overlap of the Oscars. Tim, it just uh, sort of does that because it's a great product. I know you have your, uh, you have your other brand of DVR, but uh, the Tebow thinks for me. It was a Comcast one. Yep. It's Comcastic. Or at least the bit of it you can see. So the host is uh, television personality John Stewart. He opens up the program by getting political and doing a monologue. Julie Christie was absolutely amazing and away from her. Uh, brilliant movie. It was a moving story of a woman who forgets her own husband. Hillary Clinton called it the feel-good movie of the year. Ah. Hmm. Come on, enough is oh, enough. Oh, God. Oh. Thank you, Tim, for stopping that. That was really nice. I thought you were going to play the whole thing. No, I will later. Okay. Uh, John great. Stewart makes light of the dark nature of most of the Best Picture nominees. Does this town need a hug? What? What? <laughs> what happened? No country for old men. Sweeney Todd, there will be blood. All I can say is thank God for teen pregnancy. <laughs> Wow, let's talk about how hot Ellen Page looked last night. Ellen Page, who is the legal uh, girl in uh, Juno, who looked like a miniature Lauren Graham. She just looked like a tiny little Lorelai Gilmore. Um, 
boy, she was gorgeous. Just flat out freaking gorgeous. You see her, Ellen Page? Oh, yes. Oh, well, she see, I don't know what you girl. saw and what you didn't, because I know I, you were in and out of the office. No, Oscars. I didn't see her, actually. Oh, she looked stunning. Well, she's, yes, yeah, she's, she's a, a beautiful girl, girl, but I mean, she was dressed. Whoever gave, whoever did her, her look last night, uh, Ellen Page looked gorgeous. Um, so, uh, yeah, she looked really, really good. Uh, there will be blood star uh, Doris Day, Daniel Day Lewis admits the film uh, left a passing impression on him while he received the best actor in a leading role honor. I've been thinking a lot about fathers and sons in the course of this, and like to accept this in the memory of my grandfather Michael Balkan, my father Cecil Day Lewis, and my three fine boys Gabriel, Ronan, and Cashel. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I drink your milkshake. Come on, enough is enough. All right. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, let's talk to uh, Joel Cohen, who talks about the past while he and his brother Ethan pick up the Best Director trophy yeah. for the film No Country for Old Men. In the late 60s, when Ethan was 11 or 12, he got a suit and a briefcase, and we went to the Minneapolis International Airport with a Super 8 camera and made a movie about shuttle diplomacy called Henry Kissinger, Man on the Go. Um... <laughs> Honestly, what we do now doesn't feel that much different from what we were doing then. Yeah. Juno writer Diablo Cody gives a shout-out to her fellow scribes. Let's just stop for a second about that. So, first of all, I, when they were... Now, Laura and I do this thing when we're watching uh, award shows, where they'll do the... The nominees are, and then they read off the... You know, Diablo Cody for whatever, Paul Thomas Anderson for There Will Be Blood, or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And then I'll pause it before the award, and we'll, we'll make predictions. And so she and I both figured that Diablo Cody would not win because I didn't figure the Academy would ever give the award to a stripper. I couldn't see. You know, Dreams do come true, Rick it's, Emerson. It's true. Well, you know, because the Academy, I mean, they're just. Um, no I don't one. even know who the Academy is. Who is the Academy? Tim? Nobody knows who the Academy it's a star is. Star Chamber, Sarah. Well, I, I mean, it's you a bunch of. You need to go through 10 layers of security to get into the building. You have to. Uh, you have to be level 10 theta clear to. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, but it, it does seem to me. No offense, Jim. That many uh, members of the Academy are sometimes uh, a little snobbish, uh, and and so there are things that are perceived as not being good enough or uh, legitimate enough to win. That's why a lot of very popular films will never win Oscars uh, because they are not considered real movies or not considered serious enough or important enough. I did not think that they would give a stripper named Diablo an award, an <laughs> Oscar for best screenplay. And goddamn it, if she didn't win, did you see what she had on? I saw her outfit. I've just seen still photos. I didn't see her in movement. Uh, call it a hunch. I don't think she thought she was going to win because she had, I like this She-Ra Queen of the Jungle thing on where it was like I thought a, it was like this rad dress as leopard print, but it had diamonds. It was stuff. a sheer leopard print dress that came down to about uh, right below her business and then just sort of degenerated into like torn you know, like it was sort of shredded below that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hot, but it looked exactly like the thing a stripper would wear. And she had like a big Satan tattoo on her right shoulder. Uh, and she just looks trashy and hot. And it was just, it was really, really great. It was quite wonderful, actually. So uh, here's uh, Diablo Cody. This is for the writers. And uh, I, I, I want to thank all the writers. I especially want to thank the, my, my fellow nominees because I, I, I worship you guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you every day. So thank you very much. I think that is really satisfying that not only did a stripper win for a uh, former stripper win, for, win the Oscar, but it's her first screenplay, too. I always enjoy seeing that when somebody who is a first-time director, first time ever, comes along and just shafts everybody who's been you know, doing it for 20 years. I always find that really uh, gratifying mm-hmm. in a strange way. 
Best Supporting Actress winner Tilda Swinton makes fun wow. of her Michael Clayton co-star George Clooney while picking up her Oscar. George Clooney, you know, the seriousness and the dedication to your art, seeing you climb into that rubber bat suit from Batman and Robin, the one with the nipples, every morning under your costume, on the set, off the set, hanging upside down at lunch, you rock man. Uh, she was really great. She's nutty, though. You can tell. She's yeah, she all sounds kinds a little kooky. She had, like, a weird Annie Lennox thing going on. Like, you could tell she's a drama nerd from way back. Ratatouille director Brad Bird, who hails Morgan, remembers the person who helped his career when he picks up his film's Best Animated Feature Oscar. I also want to thank my junior high guidance counselor uh, for a meeting we had where he asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to make movies. And he said, what else do you want to do with your life? And it went on like this till we were sick of each other. And I only realized just recently that he gave me the perfect training for the movie business. No, he was he was really good. He also did he was, the, that speech went a little long because that seems because it was cut because remember it goes yeah. back and forth. And yeah, he, he blayed out the whole conversation. He also did an amazing stories episode called The Family Dog, which is a. Uh, which is much That is so people. funny. My friend just sent me something about that. He did the Family Dog episode of Amazing Stories, and the Family Dog makes a little tiny cameo in the background in Iron Giant. Uh, best actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, from Let There Be Blood. Uh, that is the title. Let There Be Blood explains why he kissed George Clooney after winning the Oscar last Apart night. Apart from anything else, he was the nearest fellow nominee. And I have to say, as I didn't say it at, at the time, that I was very proud to be included in that group of actors. I had to kiss someone. I mean, I kissed my wife, and, you know, the interest of parity, I kissed George. Well, okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, then let's bring back uh, Swilda Tintin again. For uh, another comment, uh, she talks about the upcoming uh, strike that the writers... No, not the writers, but the actors... I'm never worried that there may be a strike. I'm worried that there may be a cause to strike. Striking's uh, the thing we can do if conditions aren't right. Recent events might have made a strike unlikely, but there's always that possibility. Uh, let's see what else. No Country for Old Men producer Scott Rubin accepts the film's Best Motion Picture Oscar. This is an unbelievable honor, and... Uh, uh... A complete surprise. Um, so many people have a part of this, chief among them Cormac McCarthy, who wrote a wonderful book that it was an honor to make into a movie. The three men sitting down front, Josh Brolin, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, without them there would be no movie. Yeah, that, and everybody associated with that movie, I will say this, although I have mixed feelings about the Coen brothers themselves, it was a great film. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, everybody associated with that with that movie was was pretty great and pretty stylish last night. There was that guy, there was Javier Bardem, obviously, uh, who did he did that great tear jerking thing where he he came up and he said, you know, I would like to thank uh, blah 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 blah, and then he did the rest of the speech. Wait for it, to his mother who was in the front row, but he had to do it in Spanish. I saw that. It was yeah. very it was touching. So, so my wife just started crying. Just and that is he's so handsome. Oh, I know, and he's so oh, big man. and dreaming and whatever, and he's just like. He's all, I have to do the rest of this in Spanish. Blah, 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 Spanish. And my wife's, it's so beautiful. Waterworks immediately. Uh, right after that program was Barbara Walters' Oscar special. Among her guests was Millie Cyrus. Or is it Miley? Uh, she was asked by Barbara Walters if she gets an allowance. When I had, like, a credit card type thing, I lost it. So now I guess it's, I'm paying for it because I'm with my mom all the time. But it's okay because we're always together. And I don't really, you know 
get to go out and do the shopping thing that much without my parents anyway, so it's all right. Wow. She sounds like someone in her 30s has been smoking Marlboro. I, I, I was just going to say, that voice, uh, I, I, it's funny, I made a note to myself last night, uh, has voice of 25-year-old. Because she's like another what? Lindsay Lohan. She's like 14, 13, something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but I mean, she opens her mouth and she sounds like uh, she sounds like Lauren Bacall. So anyway, uh, uh, I know that I'm not a 12 year old girl, but I don't get what's so special about this. Well, but you're not girl. supposed to. It's not for you. Okay. I mean, because I don't. Yeah, I don't get it. At I all. mean, that's the thing is, it's like I'm just you know, but I realize that there's just certain things that you know that I don't get, but I guess they're not for me. I mean. It, because I don't even know, really know what her show is about. It's a sitcom, right? It's some Disney thing, isn't it's, it? Yeah, isn't it's she like, like a normal girl and a But I think she also... But I think the... Here's... I, I'm questioning whether or not I want this clarified, but I feel like in terms of pop culture awareness... I think maybe it's time that we know. Here's the thing. As I understand it, the deal with Hannah Montana is... And it's kind of an interesting shtick if this is the deal. I think that the, the hook of the show is that Hannah... Uh, is a by all by all accounts a regular teenage girl, but that she has a secret double life in which she is a huge pop star, and no one at school knows it. And I think that's the gimmick. And if so, that's pretty cool, actually. I mean, I, if I was you know if I was a, if I was a teenage girl, she puts on a wig and like her hair's blonde instead of brown. She puts on glasses. And nobody can find out. It's like a Clark Kent thing. So I think you know if I was you know if I was like a, you know a little girl, I might watch that. Who knows? It's it's kind of interesting. It sort of plays into a lot of different fantasies. So I think that's the gimmick of the show is that she's a normal teenage girl during the day, but at night she's secretly like a pop star. So so that's kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, I've never uh, I've never seen it, but I, I I do believe that is the deal. All I know is that because she was here, has she already been here or was she here? Is she coming? She was coming through town. Woman, I know that Susan Reynolds' you know daughters were, you know, going mental over the whole thing. So uh, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, but you know, every five or six years we have somebody like that. There's somebody whose sole purpose is to separate parents from their dollars. So this year it's right. Uh, they have a file of them, like a future file. Exactly, totally. No, and you know what? In like five or six years, when she starts to look all lumpy and misshapen, they'll have another girl that rolls out that you know, because a couple years ago wasn't it? Uh, well, it was Michelle Trachtenberg for a while, uh, and then it was the That's So Raven girl. It, it was the, she was doing that. Uh, so you and know, it was like Hillary Duff at one point. And too. you did have Saved by the Bell, which is uh, you know not quite the same thing, but it's, you know not like a quality sitcom by any means. So, yeah. God, I know, rewatching that show, that oh, is awful. so awful. Oh, it's great, but it's No awful. redeeming quality. No, none. But it's the greatest thing ever. Is there any chance we can expect your life to go downhill like Britney's? The people that so. are the ones you want to hold on to are the people that tell you the truth. And that's your family that sometimes, you know, can be a little bit harsh and can, you know, say things that have to be honest. And that can hurt sometimes. Sweetie, you look like a whore. Oh, here's a, uh, okay, this is a picture of Ellen Page, but this is not the one. This is her at an after party, though, so this is not, she's changed clothes for this. She still looks hot, but this is not the look she had at the Oscars. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Uh, no club brawl is complete without the infamous Girls Gone Wild camera crew on hand. Woo! At Boston's area nightclub, they were hosting the wild camera crew early yesterday morning when the confrontation at the club quickly escalated into an all-out brawl. About 35 partygoers smash each other over the head with champagne bottles. The brawlers uh, bash each other's heads and midsections with the bottles until shots rang out. I heard like two gunshots fired, and that's when everybody started pushing and running back and trying to look for exits. Everybody ran into a storage room. I thought I was going to die. Honest to God, I had never feared for my life or been traumatized like that ever. Well, whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, um, apparently Reach is called Javier Bardem, Xavier Bardem. <laughs> oh, I wish there was audio of that. If somebody has... Reach just sounded like he was sick, too, didn't he? When? Last night. 
when last night? Uh, at the beginning, like right before the show. Oh, started. see, I didn't watch that. I didn't watch the beginning. I didn't watch the pre or post show. It was so awkward. Yeah, no, I never watched. I never watched the red carpet with Jonah. I didn't even Rivers. realize it was on because each all watched like Family yeah. Guys and like they get out of my house. And I'm like, oh, the Oscars. No, I just watched the actual meat of it. And as soon as John Stewart said, "Well, thanks everybody for coming out. Good night." Off. Television's done. Uh, yeah, called like Xavier Bart Bardem. Uh, and apparently, okay, so here's some photos of Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody. She not only is dressed like some weird goth jungle girl, uh, but she's wearing skull and crossbone rings and earrings. She's basically a baby girl boutique model. Ah. So, excellent. Good for her. Well done, Diablo Cody. Here's to you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. This is Pat. Hello. Hi. Hi. I had something to say way back when. Remember you were talking about traffic court? Yes. Well, you haven't lived until you've gone to traffic court in Newport because they see all the dregs of everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is, you know, dreggy as uh, traffic court usually is, it's got to be more so in that town. Well, after being there for hours and hours and hours, we had to talk to the judge about our doggy ticket. <laughs> Which is what, for not cleaning up? No, for our dogs getting loose and running loose off the leash. Is that really one of the larger problems in Newport? <laughs> It was for us. We were some, one of the more innocuous people there. Yeah, it sounds like one of those problems that like Tim's neighborhood would have. Maybe <laughs> like you know, there'd be there'd be some leaf raking ordinance that somebody had violated. Somebody left a boat out in front of their house someday. Really? In violation there. of the housing uh, <laughs> commission or whatever that thing is called? Yeah. Not that it was a, not a nice boat, but it's not supposed to be left in front of your house. Let me ask you this, Tim. Now, if somebody in your neighborhood painted their house in a way that violated the housing, what are those things called? Housing groups, planning, housing commissions? What are those neighborhood groups called that enforce the, uh, you know, the, the, the aesthetics? Oh, well, that that would be like a homeowners association. Yeah, the homeowners association. If you saw, if someone in your neighborhood, they uh, would be fined. If, but if if you if you knew that they were painting, like if you saw a big can of purple paint, mm -hmm. would you uh, would you alert the homeowners association or would you yes. let somebody else do it? Yes. Really, you'd squeal. Mm -hmm. Good for you. All right, because Next. consistency oh, no. builds a good neighborhood. Of course. Right. Is somebody what is somebody talking to you in the background? Hello, are you talking to me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my husband's talking to me in the background. Okay, it's like you're having two conversations. Sounds kind of weird, Carlin. Weirding me out. But we were behind people that were there for their fourth Dewey and their their tenth reason why they needed their license to drive to work and hey, that kind of thing. They got to get to that box making factory. <laughs> or on the bicycle heading to the bar. Totally. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. There you go. Kind of weird. It was like a like a like a, a Phil Hentry call or something. Mm -hmm. And tell them about him. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, Rick. Sarah Tim's Jesse from Red Hot Pistol. Oh, hi. hi. Hey. Hey. So I realized by saying I know about. Uh, the uh, Hannah Montana show, I'm no longer going to ever be able to get laid in this town. You can never rock again, sir. I can never rock again. But, yeah, uh, so the, my ex-girlfriend, whatever, used to live with me, had an 8-year-old, so I watched quite a bit of the Disney Channel. And this is the premise of the show. Billy Ray Cyrus is one of the main characters on it, and he's kind of like a, he's basically playing himself, except... Please tell me he plays like a cool teacher or a cool guidance counselor. No, no, he... He's her dad. Oh, okay. and right. He was an old, you know, an old country star. Right. Or, or you know, a previous, and he still records, still makes music. And his daughter, um, they live in Malibu, is, uh, but, they're, but they're from Nashville, and they moved out to Malibu. And his daughter is Hannah Montana, and she's a famous pop singer. But, uh, but you know, she wears wigs or whatever, so people don't recognize her. And then she wants to go to school like a normal student. I see. So yeah, so, so, she's, you, uh, so she's an so undercover she, star, basically. Yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and she's got her best friend, the only one that knows the secret, that she's actually Hannah Montana, and then, of course, her brother. Of course. And um, but yeah, it's it's heavy-handed and, like, pretty cheesy, but 
even Billy Ray Cyrus and, and Miley Cyrus, they're all pretty compelling and pretty funny. Yeah, like he's a, a likable guy. To watch, really. I've seen him interviewed, actually. He's, uh, he's, he's actually, a, a, it seems like a pretty nice guy. So. One of the episodes I saw, he was, uh, he was doing this, he was recording the song, because they're always kind of doing, you know, new songs for her, but he was recording right. a song, and his, uh, the title of his big song was, uh, I Want My Mullet Back. That's pretty funny. That's pretty bad. Uh, that's one of those little jokes they throw in there for the dads they know are watching. Yeah. All right. Thank you, my friend. No problem. Right, there you go. Uh, now, I have Oscar stuff to talk about. Should I do that here? Sure. Uh, or uh, should I wait? No, do it now. All right. Well, because we all watched Are the there Oscar any other questions? To some extent last night. About uh, Hannah Montana? Well, any of the, of the do, Oscar Do we winners. have more Oscar stuff? Well, no. Okay. I mean, some of the other stuff was covered, like the live-action short film, which was entitled Le Mozart de Pickpockets, and it's translated as... The Mozart of pickpockets. <laughs> like, like really? People wouldn't know. <laughs> well, they are American, mm-hmm. Tim. It is French. People, people in Kansas are, are watching that. The language um, of traitors. Um, so uh, here are my observations that I made last night. Uh, some of these I can just give out. Some of these uh, we'll, we'll dwell on for a moment. Uh, first observation. What did I do before TiVo? Boy, let me just... and you Because you even with your uh, DVR, right? It's the same thing where it's like you... How much of last night's four-hour show would you say you actually watched? All of it. Really? Well, I went through the parts I didn't care about. But I mean, but that's what I'm like saying. Like electrician and you know. how long did it take you to watch the whole four-hour show? An hour. Yeah, that's see, then me too. Exactly. Skip Gaffer gone. Art is like gone. Everything from Enchanted gone. Uh, so you didn't have that option though, right? You're probably watching it live. No, I was watching it live, but I wasn't. I was just kind of looking at it in the background. I wasn't. I didn't really watch it. It was on. Uh, let's see. Uh, anime is the second thing. Animated category pisses me off. This is the thing I was going to say early when Brad Bird playing that audio. That, that that just infuriates me. That thing about uh, best him winning best animated film for Ratatouille. It just irritates me, and I bitch about this every year, that animated films get shoved into this ghetto of their own category, that they can't win Best Picture, which is just absurd. The idea that, you know, that it's like some leftover snobbery, the idea that an animated film isn't a real movie somehow. It's just a cartoon. That's like the same belief that thinks that comic books are somehow not art or not literature. So the idea that Ratatouille or, you know, some of the other Pixar films, for example, like uh, like Finding Nemo, which is a unbelievable film uh, or you know the Toy Story films or any of those things the Incredibles that they somehow aren't allowed to compete for best picture because they're not real movies uh, which just irritates me to no end just it fills me with rage yeah I can tell I mean well, it's just it's just stupid I mean it's just that's what I was saying well, I mean it, it also depends I mean you shouldn't get it's the Academy Awards I mean it might be a it's not that big of a deal it doesn't you know? matter to me but I mean but I it, but I sort of get offended on behalf of the artists um, you know, like, what if musicals were just told they couldn't win? Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, musicals, you're not real movies. You have to win your special, like, ghetto category. Uh, let's see. Um, they don't think it's special. I bet they're excited about their awards. I'm sure he was glad to win. Uh, but it, well, let me put it this way. Imagine if uh, if there was... Oh, no, I see what you're saying, and I totally agree with you, but I think that they they all just sound like a bunch of old snobs. I think you're totally right with yeah, that. Yeah, no, it just it bugs me because they just won't accept the fact that an an that animated films now are not what they were 50 years ago you know it's not like a, you know it, it, it's not like it's a popeye cartoon i mean ratatouille especially is an incredible motion picture just by any by any standard so it just it someday they'll be recognized as being equal to regular films it just bothers me that it's not happening now i love snobbery <laughs> i know you do there's a place for it i can just hear you on the no i see a can of purple paint at the house next door he needs a beating um Okay, here's another. These are some of these, these are, I just wrote these observations down as they came to me last night during the Oscars. WTF? Norbit has been nominated for an Oscar. 
So, did you see that Norbit? I know nothing not, about Norbit. <laughs> it's apparently, I've only seen little bits and pieces of it on HBO. Here's the thing. Isn't this supposed to be notoriously awful? It's like, it's apparently like the worst, most most racist, most offensive, horrible thing ever made. It's got Eddie Murphy in it. Um, it was not, but it was it, it was like a Geely type thing where it was so bad, it was considered like an epic fail. I mean, it was just made out of fail, apparently. It was awful. Like a 2%, you know, success, uh, like 2% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. It was nominated for an Oscar last night. It was like watching Geely be nominated for an Oscar. Um, but well, here's... And John Stewart, did you write down John Stewart's joke about that? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So I wrote down, WTF, Norbit has been nominated for an Oscar. Of course, I knew it wouldn't win, but then I wrote this. I wrote down, I'm going to start embracing Norbit now. So here's the thing. I'm going to get out in front of this thing today. As of today, I'm going to start embracing Norbit as an unjustly maligned and overlooked film. Because then I know, like, showgirl style, in about eight or nine years, everybody will catch up to me. So as of today, I'm going to announce that this is my new my new position on Norbit is, no, 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 Norbit's really an unfairly overlooked film. Now, if you uh, get past the hype and watch it, it's actually a really sublime work of postmodern comedy. So we should all start saying that now so we look cool I need to know, are. like, at least one thing. I don't even know what it's about. I don't even know. At one point, Eddie Murphy... Uh, Here's all oh, you need God, to know. Oh, God, all you need to know, all I need to know is Eddie Murphy. Now, see, how sad is that? Because he know, used to be a genius. I know, I know. At one point, Eddie Murphy, because uh, it's that one of those, another one of those movies where he plays like 80 different characters. At one point, Eddie Murphy plays uh, an elderly black man who I think believes himself to be Asian. And so it is Eddie Murphy playing an old, obese black man who speaks with a really, really stereotypical Asian accent. That's all you need to know about Norbit. But really, right now, we should all start saying... We should all get on the Norbit is an underappreciated gem, because then we're going to look a lot cooler than we really how are. How did it even? Years. How was? Did it even become like come to be nominated? I don't know. I'm well, because Rick Baker person. did some really amazing makeup. Norbit is a normal person that's being adopted by Mr. Wong, also played by Eddie Murphy, and yeah. ends up being married to the very large Rasputia, also Eddie Murphy. Yeah. and she's and she's you know a, she's a fat sassy black woman, Sarah. Uh, apparently, it's just terrible, uh, and just filled with all the worst racist stereotypes. But because it's so maligned, we will look forward thinking if we embrace it now as being a work of misappreciated genius. All right, let's see what else here. Um, note to self, what's with all this foreign crap? It was just endless movies that I've and never seen French and don't care understand. about. Yeah, just a whole bunch of, and, you know, the third nominee for Best Actress, you know, Juliette Barbada in Le Petit Mon Petit Chou, you know, or whatever. Um, let's see, what else? Okay. I'll have to give some background on this one. Do you remember when um, Peter from Nickel Arcade was in here mm -hmm. the first time, and he said that thing directed at Storm, who wasn't in the studio, but he was talking about his crush on Storm, and he said, he said, oh, by the way, Storm Large, if you're listening, I want to be on you. Remember how he said uh -huh. that? Okay, I don't know myself. God damn, I want to be on Kate Blanchett. How unbelievably freaking hot was Kate Blanchett last night? I don't think Jesus. I saw Jesus. Oh, my God. I mean, really? Honestly? I wrote it. I, here's how hot she was last night. I wrote it in three different places. Goddamn, Kate Blanchett is hot. She was unfreakingly, believably, un unbelievably gorgeous. I mean, mind-blowingly gorgeous last night. And I think she's pregnant too. Didn't look it, but I think she is. So, goddamn, Kate Blanchett was just the hottest thing on two legs. Just, just scorchingly beautiful last night. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Here's here's another one. They just played inappropriately jaunty intro music for Owen Wilson. I don't know if you saw that. And how weird that Owen I Wilson saw was Owen there. Wilson. Owen Wilson, who the last time we heard from him, like, ate a bunch of pills and cut his wrists. 
And when he comes out, he's all like a lot of. He's like, I'm here. I'm here to present an award for best animated short feature. You know. And meanwhile, all you're thinking to yourself, you're just picturing him in a in a bathtub, Godfather Two style, just you know, veins are open. Um. All right. Question. Is Dame Judy Dench's first name Dame? What is Dame? Is that an honorary title? What the hell? That's an honorary British, British title. Is that like being Sir? Yeah. Is it now? Is it's that for ladies? Is it? It is the female equivalent of Sir. Yes. Okay. So her name is Judy Dench, but it's like how it's uh, Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah. Okay. All I right. I thought he was calling her a Dame. I I was wondering. Well, see, here's the thing. Though. I thought it might have been a title she gave herself, like to sort of be sassy. Uh, let's see. Note to self, uh, I yell, come on, at the television when P.T. Anderson is denied his screenplay Oscar. I really did. Every time the Coens beat Paul Thomas Anderson for something last night, I would say to myself, come on, often by saying, mother effer, afterward, <laughs> to, aloud in my living room to no one. Um, let's see. Set design behind Falling Slowly performance is gorgeous. Uh, the people from Once come out, they sing Falling Slowly, and they had that whole set design where it was like a music store mm -hmm. with guitars. I saw the guitar things. Oh, it's so, so hot. beautiful. Uh, no, so hot? <laughs> uh, no, I below that I have Kate Blanchett hot again. Oh, okay. I'm merging the two. No, it was beautiful. Kate Blanchett again. Kate Blanchett, so hot. Let's see. Renee Zellweger will not age well at this rate. That's a girl who needs to lay off the plastic surgery Man, right her now. Her face is just freaky looking at the Tiny point. and shiny is her face right now. Um, why can't John Travolta get a good haircut? It, here's the thing about John Travolta, and I think I speak for all of us here. Good actor. You know, uh, American icon, turned in some great performances in his life. People forget that because he's kind of a clown. But he's done some great work. Saturday Night Fever, a great work. Uh, all the way up, you know, obviously Pulp Fiction, great work. Primary Colors, great work. Um, Welcome back, Connor. Welcome back, Connor. And you know what? And, and maybe, not everybody's, uh, maybe not everybody's taste in man, uh, but a good-looking guy. You know, he's, he's an attractive man in a certain way. Not everybody would be into the way he's, you know, he does have that, you know, he's very very swarthy. But goddamn, he has the worst haircuts. Every time I see, he's got that weird flat buzz cut thing, and it just makes him look like a special child. Mm. It makes him look like he ought to be drooling and wearing a helmet. Um, let's see. I woo really loudly for falling slowly's Oscar. Uh, that was the other thing, uh, because like goddamn Enchanted had three nominations. They were hogging the How nominations. How embarrassing was that horrible girl singing that song from Enchanted? And the thing is, it's apparently a pretty good film. People I respect. I've heard very good things about it. They said it's a great film, but it's like I grew to hate it over the course of the evening because they had three nominations. Mm -hmm. So when they said, and the award goes to Falling Slowly, I, I actually, in my living room, I stood up and I went, yeah! <laughs> like in, in my living room like a retard. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll skip some of these. Let's, oh, here's one. Note to self. Is it, is it possible that Rain Man actually won Best Picture? I, I, they did that thing I, where, I didn't know that Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture. Oh, yeah, which is weird because it's about a cannibal and a guy who, yeah. you know, Ryan uh, 14. But Jack Nicholson did that thing where they played the award of everybody who's ever won Best Picture. Rain Man won Best Picture. How sad. How ashamed we must be as a nation that Rain Man won Best It's like how ashamed we must be that we gave Cuba Gooding Jr. an Oscar. I mean, come on. We're all feeling... Oh, I don't think that... I, I think his performance was good in Jerry Maguire. I guess. I mean, but he's made poor choices ever since no, then. I was going to say, I mean, really... <laughs> I can't even name you, like, the last movie he was in. <laughs> Did that really just happen? <laughs> I don't even know why that was playing. We already can fill that in other heads. Um... 
No, it's like how we gave Robin Williams an Oscar. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just retarded. Why did we do that? Uh, Every time I think about Robin Williams, all I think about is Patch Adams. It just makes me angry. All right, almost done here. My wrap. I'll get a few of these next hour, but they're almost good. Um, I do the thing, of course, when they do the Dead Parade, uh, where what's her name comes out and goes. Now we reflect on those who we have lost during the previous. And you always try to anticipate who's going to be on it. There was really nobody, nobody good that died in the last year, except for Heath Ledger. And I always try to guess who's going to be last, because they always end on the biggest death. Was it Heath Ledger? Oh, yeah, yep. totally. Uh, yeah. And then the house lights went down. Yeah. And then there was fade to black, and then there was silence for two seconds. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, yeah. I, I always make fun of it, but, you know, I, or I not make fun of the wrong word. I always kind of poke oh. fun at it. But, the, when, you know, when they mention people who passed away, I, you know, it's always kind of, you know, you get choked up a little bit because it's, you know, people who made a big impact. But, but Heath Ledger was obviously the guy they were going to end on this year. I always wonder. He's like the final song at a show, right? Mm-hmm. They come up with it like, what's the final encore going to be? It's always the biggest hit. Well, you knew they were going to end on Heath Ledger. So they had Suzanne Plachette and so forth, but there weren't a lot of good deaths in the last year because, I swear to you, at several points, they were honoring the deaths of agents, yeah. which I think is new. I don't think that we, they typically mourn the deaths of agents. That seems like a new thing that they're doing. And they didn't uh, mourn Brad Renfro, right? I know no, that he didn't make true. They did. That's right. They didn't. Uh, that's right. Brad Renfro got shafted. Well, he's not big enough to be mourned. He's but just was a the child. head of a PR firm is. Yeah, but some gave it some fat bastard from an agency. Well, whatever. Right. It is a company town, I guess. Uh, and then finally, and Tim, maybe you know the answer to this. Uh, it says, uh, Rick, I'm sitting here watching the Oscars. Every year they go on and on about how the results are sealed until the exact moment the winners are announced. My question, though, is how does the orchestra know which movie's theme song to play the instant the Oscar winner is announced? They can't possibly have committed all these songs to memory to play at the drop of the hat. Do they practice them all? Do they get the sheet music moments before the winners are announced? Do they get the whole list at the beginning of the show? I didn't even see an orchestra last night. Oh, no, they were down uh, in the orchestra pit because they were being conducted by Bill Conti, who wrote the Rocky theme. Hmm. Uh, that was pretty neat, too, when John Stewart leaned down and he was talking to the them down in the orchestra pit. Because you never get to see them. They're always hidden. Yeah. But Bill Conti, who did the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, he, uh, he was conducting the orchestra. But that's a good question. How does the orchestra, because it's not like a pause. You know, when they say the Oscar goes to what's it from who's it's, you know, and immediately the who's it's theme begins to play like like half a second later. How do they know that? I don't know. I secretly believe, not so secretly, I guess, that the results are not really private. I mean, they can't be uh, because a the orchestra and B, here's the ultimate proof to me that the uh, results are not secret. And that it's, you know, because only the people at PricewaterhouseCoopers know the... Uh, that can't be true, because last year when Scorsese won that Best Director Oscar, coming out to award the uh, the Best Director Academy Award, remember they had George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Francis Ford Coppola uh, out there to announce Best Director. And clearly, as soon as you saw those three, you knew it was going to be Scorsese. I mean, there is no universe in which Lucas, Spielberg, and Coppola are going to give the award to a director, and it's not going to be Scorsese. I mean, it was just a like you just knew right then. As soon as I saw the three come out, I'm like, God, oh, Scorsese. So I do wonder about that, actually. All right. Uh, let's do this call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? Yeah, Norbert, believe it or not, worldwide sales last year were over four hundred million dollars for that piece of garbage. Yeah, well see, but you know and I'm gonna go I gotta go to Rotten Tomatoes right now and see what its score was. Because yeah. I, I think it was like five percent or something. Rotten That movie didn't have one laugh in it. I mean I tried to laugh, you tried to find something humorous, but it was just like a train wreck but, watching. But <laughs> here, here's the thing, you will distinguish yourself now though if you start saying that Norbit is an underappreciated piece of postmodern comedy. Uh-huh. 
I'm telling well, you, you yeah. gotta start, you gotta start doing this. I got a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Really? Yeah. Hold on. I'm looking at Norbert on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is a review aggregator where they uh, get hundreds of reviews and then they come up with a final tally. They average all of the reviews. Let's see. Norbit. Here we go. Norbit starring Eddie Murphy. Let us now click and see uh, what it got. You, if you ever want to amuse yourself, go to Rotten Tomatoes sometimes and look at the bottom, you know, like the bottom 50 or whatever. Movies that get like 2% approval or something. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Norbert wasn't a bad movie. It was just a surreal comment upon our modern time. Nine, nine percent. There you go. Nine. Nine percent. Crash and unfunny, says one reviewer. Yeah, it Excellent. just made a fortune. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Yeah, well. All right, there you go. All right. Hello, Tim. Hello. Have we more news? Yes, the Oscars were ratings done. Neil says primary ratings for the 80th Annual Academy Awards telecast were 14% lower than the least watch ceremony ever. The overnight ratings were 21% lower than last year. When The Departed was named Best Picture, the least watch Oscars took place in 2003 with only 33 million viewers. No estimate yet on how many people watched. So how do they figure this out? Yeah, but see, but those numbers are always made up. Like, like, here they figure, no, 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 one billion people watch the Oscars. You know what? That is, uh, the New York Times ran a piece mm -hmm. a couple years back about that figure, where they would go, a billion people watch the Oscars, which is, the, it's flat out made up. Not, mm -hmm. like, exaggerated or misrepresented. It's made up. And the reason they can say a billion people watch is because they don't have rating systems in most of the world like we do, so it's impossible to verify one with the other. So they can just say whatever they want. How many people watch in Togo? Yeah, they can, exactly, and they can just say all of them. How about American Guam? All of them, and there's no way to disprove it. So the show had a 21.9 rating, or a 33 share, whatever that means. And ratings are mostly made up, unless they're in our favor. Uh, let's see here. Rick, in violation of Man Rule 1.2, you said that John Travolta was really attractive. Well, it's true. I mean, he's, you John know, he's, no, he's, a, he's an attractive man. Uh, in a certain sense. So people like jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it at all. I, know I don't you see don't. it in any sense. You're the person I was thinking of, actually, when I said, maybe not to some, I was mm -hmm. thinking of you. I would, I would be curious to have anyone call in and see if anybody finds him attractive at this point. Maybe not so much now, but again, it has to do with that horrible retard haircut that he's Yeah, got. the hair will in this big flat face and yeah. like... Well, he, Tim's right. He does have a square pumpkin head at this point. No, Tim, is, yeah, he's 100% right. fleshy jack-o'-lantern. Uh, Ew. Let's oh, see. that guy with the square jockhead was on last night, too, that you were talking about. Uh, Brolin? Josh Brolin? Yeah. Just, you know, boy, he was unfunny. But, you know, that's he, look, like, he looks like a rock'em sock'em robot. No, he's, uh, he has that weird kind of all-American sort of gangster, not gangster, but, you know, sort of the outlaw kind of a, kind of a rough-and-tumble look to him. He was really, really good in No Country for Old Men. I, have to, I didn't really care for him until then, but he was really good in that movie. And, as, again, as much as I don't like the Coen brothers typically, that was a fine film. It really was. I was really irritated uh, that There Will Be Blood did not win more. Uh, but uh, but No Country for Old Men is a fine movie. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. It's um, violent. This, well, man, I'm going to say, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that you didn't bail out, like, as soon as the guy was walking to the car in that movie. Uh, you know? I like it. Eject, eject. Yeah. It wouldn't eject. <laughs> eject, eject. Turn away, turn away. I need you to get out of the car. Oh. <laughs> it's a whole lot See, of life. I don't know. That makes Well, what's this about? You know, and then he just kills the guy yeah, right Tony there. Yeah, is a huge fan. He said it's one of the greatest <laughs> movies he's ever seen. It's a great movie. It's, again, don't get me wrong, great movie. Uh, not perfect, but really, really good. Boy, goddamn, is it violent, though. And there are moments in No Country for Old Men where I don't get tense easily, but where I'm kind of, you, literally, you're sort of leaning forward on the edge of your seat, and they're just, 
Alfred Hitchcock had this great this great thing he said where what you do in a movie is and he was speaking in metaphors but he talked about in the first you know in the first scene, in the first act of a movie people sit down at the table in the second act of the movie you see there's a bomb under the table and then in the third act of the movie the bomb goes off and he said all the tension comes from act 2 where the bomb is under the table but nothing has happened yet no country for old men is full of those moments there's a scene where Woody Harrelson and Javier Bardem are sitting in a hotel room and Woody Harrelson is sitting in a chair and Javier Bardem is sitting in a chair across from him with a huge, massive shotgun just sitting on his knee aimed at Woody Harrelson's chest. And they have this, like, nine-minute conversation. And the whole time, Javier Bardem has a shotgun aimed at Woody Harrelson, who's about three feet away, with his finger on the trigger, just pointing it at him while they casually talk. And the whole time, you're just like, come on, come, come on! You know, just waiting <laughs> to see if... To waiting to see if the gun's going to go off. I mean, it's just, it's a masterful film in many ways. It really is. Uh, I, I do like some gun violence. The Rifleman is back on TV again. Really? And, that, and that's my kind of Western violence. <laughs> I used to be able to, isn't there a theme? Yeah. I used to be able to sing the Rifleman theme. There's no words to the theme. No, no, no. I mean, you know, like I used to be able to hum it. And I can't remember what it is. Chuck Connors, right? Yeah. Did you, would, was it you that sent me that article about Chuck Connors' son? It's like what Chuck Connors' son is doing now. No. Yeah, what is he doing now? I think he's a real estate agent somewhere. It was so weird. It was one of those profiles like in the Sacramento Bee, you know, catching up with Bob Connors, uh, you know, and it was just Chuck Connors' son, like, who was just there for, like, being interviewed for no real reason. Um, is that the one? Oh, this is the closing theme. This is, I was going to say, this is not the opening theme of the Rifleman. Sure, I can find the Because the opening theme just starts with, like, seven shots out of the rifle. Oh, yeah, that's the best part of it. Scott Daly's taunting me. He says, what's the matter with you? Why can't foreign films get some recognition? It can't all be effing Tombstone, you idiot American. <laughs> um, well, that's fine. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> what are we doing now? Uh, I'm just uh, seeing if there's any more Oscar commentary here. Yeah, no, I got nothing. Uh, wait, is this an Maybe Oscar later. call? Let's see what this is, then we'll take a break here in a second. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. What's up? All this Oscar talk, I was just wondering uh, why I haven't mentioned the Razzies yet. You know what those are, Diane? Lindsay Lohan nominated for a record-shattering eight Razzies this year. Exactly, yes. Yeah. She broke the record between uh, her film and Norbit. I think they almost swept them. <laughs> um, yeah, Norbit uh, got the worst actor, worst supporting actor, and worst supporting actress. See, but here's the Razzies. thing is, people are going to go watch it now that we've talked about it, and I'll guarantee you... We're, I will guarantee you in 10 years, you're going to see reviews start to pop up about how it was underappreciated. And if you look thing, at it in the right, through the right prism, it actually becomes a piece of absurdist satire. The best thing is, though, that Lindsay Lohan got the worst actress twice because she played twins in the movie. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I remember I tried to watch I Know Who Killed Me. Um, and I, got about, I got about I nine want to minutes see that in. that movie. It looks so terrible. I got about nine minutes in, and I just kind of went, uh, No. Yeah, I actually rented it. Well, checked it out at the library and watched it. It was horrible. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, because we don't have Oscar stuff coming up later, I'll just do this and then we'll go into the break. Um, so this is uh, the Once guys from last night. So Once is this great movie made for like a hundred grand, filmed in sixteen days on two handy cams. The little movie that could, um, and which nobody. And again. I, I hate to say this because I really am going to see Enchanted at some point because apparently it's a very, very good film. But I was just so angered by the whole thing because it got three goddamn nominations. And then so the Once guys came out and they sang that song Falling Slowly, which is beautiful. So here is so here's the speech from, um, from Glenn Hansard, who is the guy 
in this male-female duo. And this really, really awkward thing happens where he gives his speech and then she gets up to the microphone to give her speech and they immediately start playing the music. She kind of goes... It's like she's speaking in music. Yeah, she, <laughs> like kinda, she opens her mouth. She and opens like, her <laughs> mouth and immediately the orchestra starts to play and she kind of goes... Oh, okay. <laughs> and then she's she, the cutest thing ever. And too. then it's so awkward because as she walks off, they stop the music, but it's too late, and then they start it up again. Uh, so, but then I have a payoff. So here's them. And the Oscar goes to. This is when I went. Woo! Excuse me. Glenn Hansard. My favorite yoga. Falling slowly from home. Yeah, literally in my living room. I kind of went. Yeah. And he was uh, outspan Foster in the commitments, too. He looks familiar. This is the first Academy Award and nomination for... The and he's got such a great, like, grubby, working-class accent. Um, this is amazing. Uh, what are we doing here? This is mad. Uh, uh, we, we made this film uh, two years ago. Uh, we shot it on two handy cams. Uh, it took us three weeks to make. We made it for 100 grand. We never thought we'd ever come into a room like this and be in front of you people. Uh, it's been an amazing thing. And thanks for taking this film seriously, all of you. It means a lot to us. Thanks to the Academy. Thanks to all the people who have helped us. They know who they are. We don't need to say them. This is amazing. Make art. Make art. And yeah, then, thanks. so she opens her mouth. Oh, sorry. Oh. And then they stop. Do they stop? Right here. Oh, yeah. And then she's, it's too late, so they start again. All right. And then, so I'll take this into the break, but then, so John Stewart did this really great thing, because I was so, it was so awkward. Oh, it was so, I felt so bad for her. Crawl. Like, I wanted to, I just wanted to cry for her. She, she was just like, she had her head down like a, I don't need to talk. <laughs> walking off stage. So they must have known how awkward it looked, because when they came back, John Stewart did this great thing. Hey everybody, uh, welcome back. Uh, nice to see you again. I just wanted to do something very quickly. Uh, the winners of best song, uh, Marketa Erglova, didn't get a chance to say a thank you. So I, I just wanted to bring her out here again real quick, uh, just to get a chance. To I mean, how great is that? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. There you go. Enjoy your moment. Hi. Hi everyone, I just want to thank you so much. Um, this is such a big deal not only for us, but all, for all other independent musicians and, and artists that spend most of their time struggling. And this, the fact that we're standing here tonight, the fact that we're able to hold this, is just, um, it's just a proof that no matter how far out your dreams are, it's possible. And, you know, Fair play to those who dare to dream and don't give up. And, and the song was written from a perspective of hope, and hope, at the end of the day, connects us all, no matter how different we are. And so thank you so much who helped us along the way. Thank you. So there you go. So that, that was pretty great. Yeah. Excellent. Well done, John Stewart. All right, let's take a break here. We'll be uh, back after this. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, later on, Peter Carlin joins us. Uh, and uh, Geek Watch, uh, Corpse Watch coming up on the stage. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Here's a sample review of Norbit. 
This says, From start to finish, Norbert is dismally unfunny, inspiring this sign of the apocalypse observation. Yes, Big Mama's House 2 was funnier than this film. There you go. Excellent. Something to offend everybody. Wait, how about this one? How about Norbert? Quote, it's a thoughtless, cancerous, vile, irresponsible pollution whose existence speaks ill of the society that produced it and of any society that would endorse or defend it. See, don't you want to watch it now? Totally. This is cancerous and vile. Ah, all right. Fantastic. How's everybody feeling today? Good. Good. Seem very lackluster. How's everybody feeling out there? Outstanding. Never felt You're better. like the guy at a school assembly is giving the pep talk. He's like, how's everybody doing today? Woo! <laughs> I can't hear you. Oh, God. Yes, we will. <laughs> that person. You don't yes, want to be that person. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Please don't. I can see you. I can see you looking for it right now. Please don't play anything by Hillary Clinton. All right. Are you going to do it anyway? No. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, Tim Brady. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. <laughs> I knew better than to believe you. Fiend. There has been a bomb threat in this evacuated PSU's New Burger Hall, wherever that happens to be. So all you kids standing outside, that's why it's like that. All right. Uh, from Hollywood comes word that I didn't even know that she was a resident of Beverly Hills. Madonna is doing her civic duty, showing up for jury duty at Beverly Hills Courthouse. She was wearing a dark brown velour couture sweatsuit. Sunglasses, tennis shoes, and a Jorah badge. She was sipping on a Starbucks coffee. I didn't think she lived there. She lived in Britain or something. I know. She was texting on a red cell phone in the hallway and waiting to be called in for court or to be excused. Uh, regulators for the FCC have fined 13 Fox TV stations $7,000 each for a 2003 episode of Married by America. It included graphic scenes from Bachelor and Bachelorette parties. The FCC in Washington, D.C. had initially proposed a $1.2 million fine against 169 affiliates of Fox Broadcasting, a division of News Corp. that aired the since-canceled reality series. Under a new policy, the agency said it would only find stations and markets where viewers complain. Uh, last week, the FCC fined 44 ABC television stations, a total of $1.2 million, over a 2003 broadcast of NY. So I guess all the trouble came in 2003. Yeah, no, it takes it takes years. It takes years for those things to wend their way through the system. So, uh, let's see, stations in uh, Yakima were included in this, and fines total $91,000, which probably broke the station in Yakima. <laughs> what station was it? I don't know. I, I ask as though I have any knowledge of Yakima television. Yak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was a six-episode of Married with Children, produced a cast by uh, single men and women, allowing viewers to match them by popular votes. Nobody cares, really. I wonder if they have a radio station in Yakima called The Big Yak, or The Big Yacker. The Big Yacker. I'm going to write that down. Future station imaging possibilities. AM 970. The Big Yak. Huh. All right, there you go. The Chinese maker of famed stuffed buns, whose Chinese name means a dog would ignore it, has cleaned up its English language to avoid confusion. Uh, the steamrolls have uh, minced meat and vegetables. They're the pride of a gritty town near Beijing. Their Chinese name literally means dogs would ignore it. And so are the tourists. Time for Geek Watch. Here's your Geek Watch for Monday of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 
Oh, you know what? I put in the J-Lo watch, and then everything shifted around, and I can't find anything ever on oh, it. Oh, wait. Kill time. This high-speed modem is incredibly slow. In the Queen Sergeant Lemon, I remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... And I just listen on there, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn ship. You got it? Better does. There are eight comic books that must be read before you die. That, according to the San Francisco Chronicles, in order, the Chronicles suggest reading, number one, Why the Last Man? Unmanned. I don't understand. <laughs> Why the Last Man? Unmanned. That's what the title of it is. Okay, you're weirding me out. Number two, Daredevil Born Again. Number three, Swamp Thing. Number four, Marvels. Number five, Bone Volume One out of Boneville. Number six, The Watchman. Number seven, Boneville. The, the Sandman. And number eight, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, I don't think I've read... Oh, I've read Watchmen. I think that's the only... I'm such a bad geek when it comes to comic books. I really just have almost no comic book knowledge at all. The only comic book knowledge I know... I guess that's a redundancy. The only comic book knowledge that I possess, let's put it that way, is comic book knowledge that is so widely available that everybody knows it. Like I, you know, like I know about Superman and Batman and... You know, I know uh, I know the history of the Joker and so forth, but I uh, I got another. Otherwise, I've never read any of those. I think I've read Watchmen, and that's the only one I've read. And I haven't even read The Dark Knight Returns, which makes me a terrible person. Or have I? Is The Dark Knight that returns the one that has Batman and Superman slugging it out, Tim? I don't know. No. Uh, or maybe that's I've read The Killing Joke. I think that's the actual. I think The Killing Joke is the only graphic novel that I own. Yeah, I did the comic. When Aaron comes in, you know, Aaron has talked about how, in terms of geekdom, music is really his kryptonite. Comics are really my kryptonite. I just have so. I, I really do feel like I am poorer for it, too. There's just a whole slice of my brain that's completely just. It's a whole wing of my mental library that is completely empty and unstocked, and it's, uh, it's the comic wing. All right. So that's that. Read them before you die. Yeah. Do it now. Is that the Geek Watch? Yes, it is. There's your Geek Watch for a moment. By Grabstar's Hammer, by the Sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. Next. Ooh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. You know, for Halloween, has anybody we know ever gone as one of the people from Galaxy Quest? Because that's really a fantastic costume that somebody ought to do. Somebody ought to go as one of the Galaxy Quest guys. What, like Sigourney Weaver's outfit? Or, yeah, you know? or, or, you know, or... I can't or, even remember what Or what's his like. name? Alan Rickman, the big rubbery thing, on the ridgy thing on his head. How great would that be? And then you could just walk around going... By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. Which is like the best line in that whole film. What a great movie that is. Here's Tim Riley. Consumers racked up more than $2.2 trillion in purchases in cash advances well on major done. credit cards in just the past year. Fantastic. Well done, It's America. become a habit for them to spend more than what they have. Oh. I guess they used a lot of people to find the facts on this. The overall credit card debt grew by 315% from 1989 to 2006. To compound the problem, fewer people are paying their credit cards on time. Well, of course. Why pay things on time, Tim? You're an American. That's true. With banks tightening their standards and the drumbeat of recession getting louder and louder. So is somebody chewing. And there's never been a better time to grab control of your debt. I'm not chewing. Well, I'm not chewing Someone's either. chewing. Someone's hearing is going bad. Jeez, oh, I'm hearing somebody <laughs> chewing. It must be STL trouble. <laughs> well... Uh, first, you have to determine if your credit card spending habits are out of control. Here are some signs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we really weren't doing it the first time. That was... Sorry to do a little gaslight thing there. No, we the first time, really, there was no chewing going on. Okay, I'm going to have to listen back to the best of tomorrow. <laughs> because I don't believe... Listen to that Rick Emerson recap between 10 and 11 tomorrow, Tim, and you can find out whether or not there was actually chewing the first time around. 
That sounds terrific. Is it on every day now? It is. Every weekday from 10 to 11. It's a one-hour distillation of the previous day's Rick Emerson show, allowing new listeners who maybe get up to speed with what goes on in this program every day and allowing longtime listeners to perhaps catch up on those things they may have missed. And allowing me to not have to listen to Dennis Miller for an hour. Sam, everybody wins. All right. Anyway, so anyway, we're up to our eyeballs in debt and whatever. Yes, uh, you'll find that uh, you can't make your minimum payments on your credit cards. Then you're in trouble. You realize that you've been borrowing money from family members or friends to cover your payments. You've gone to a lender that you wouldn't normally use, like a payday lender. Have you seen the commercials with these payday lenders? People are all dressed up in suit coats and ties <laughs> going in. And Just a little behind woman. this yeah. month. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then somebody really helpful behind the counter helps yeah. you out. From, now, in the commercials, do they have bulletproof oh, glass? No, they don't. It's just like it's a, a well-scrubbed white woman. In the, in the commercials, it, it just looks like a Western Union place or maybe mm-hmm. a real... Or in the commercials, does it kind of look like a real bank? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's one of the places across the street from my house. That's not really... A, that's a, that's artistic license, I think, in those commercials. Yeah. Somebody with a handlebar mustache <laughs> and, and, and with some chew in their mouth. <laughs> a guy with, like, mirrored, mirrored aviator stuff. Mirrored gorilla hands handing you a broken pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's one of those like pens on a chain, but like the, only the chain is left. The pen is gone mm-hmm. somewhere. Ugh. And a bunch of, and like and a uh, like one of those like one of those cardboard boxes with like the little pencil stubs, like they have at voting precincts or something. Yeah. Jesus. And a guy and a guy in, in like a foam rubber dollar bill costume dancing around out on the street. Jesus. Ugh. All right. Well, whatever. And it doesn't help, by the way. Not that like I'm some you know role model for uh, you know for financial responsibility, but it doesn't help. That every single time you turn on the television, or frankly, listen to many radio stations, there's a lot of, are you in debt? It's not your fault. That's like, mm-hmm. they, they always find a way to work that line, that somehow it's not your fault. Like You that, didn't do this to yourself. No, of course not. Gypsies came into your home while you were asleep, and they bought that big-ass television you can't afford. Has nothing to do with your own poor decision-making. No, in, in no way. What's that? A gigantic home full of rent-to-own furniture that you'll never pay off. You're not to blame. Jesus. All right, well, whatever. To the surprise of no one, the Pentagon is projecting that when the U.S. troop buildup in Iraq ends in July, there'll be about 8,000 more troops on the ground than began. And they're not coming home anytime soon. Lieutenant General Carter Ham, the chief uh, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told reporters that the troop total will likely be 140,000. That compares to 132,000. Ham also announced that the Pentagon believes the U.S. force levels in Afghanistan will stand at 32,000. That's up from 28,000. So nobody's coming home, so nobody better ask anymore. We're going to be there for 100 years, says John McCain. John McCain. All the more reason to vote for him. You know, John McCain must really loathe George W. Bush because he he has to know that his moment, if he was going to win, was going to be in 2000. Uh, and that, and you know, eight years, eight years hence. I mean, in 2008, it's just his time, his path. There's no way uh, that any Republican is going to win this year. It's just not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. No. Even the Republicans here are moving to smaller quarters. Yeah. I mean, they just. They, 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 this is just. Uh, the, the, to everything, there is a season. Turn, turn, turn. And this, this year, it's. Uh, it's going to be, oh, I guess, maybe maybe Barack, who knows at this point. I mean, it does. Now, i got to tell you, though, it's funny when those stories, like the thing about Barack wearing the what's it, the who's it, the garb, uh, just like that and like that story that came out um, over the weekend where Hillary Clinton was all furious about, you know, the, so there was some flyer that, come out, that came out that it, 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 he, she claimed was misleading or whatever, but they'll say things like this in the story. They go, the, uh, this recent attack, which some believe bears the fingerprints of the Clinton campaign, as though it would be anybody else. Like, as, as though the Clinton campaign has any other uh, method of engagement, except just to do some w- weird napalming scorched earth attack on whoever they think has wronged them. All right. 
Mail it is a shame, isn't it? Yes. Time for a corpse watch. Fantastic. Here's your corpse watch uh, for Monday. I'm digging a phone. I'm digging a phone. Doing things that's better left alone. I'm resurrecting memories of a love that's dead and gone. Yet tonight I'm sitting alone. Digging a phone. Here's Tim Riley with your corpse watch for Monday. The chef accused of murdering Sally Ann Bowman, a teenage model, said yesterday he regretted having sex with her dead body. <laughs> At least he regrets it. Mark Dixie. He's learned from his mistakes. Mark Dixie <laughs> said he decided to take advantage of the 18-year-old woman after finding her semi-naked body in the driveway of his home. I don't think taking advantage really conveys oh, the gravity God. of the situation. Mr. Dixie said he had, had been Who thinking... wants to say hello to Mr. Dixie? <laughs> <He'd been> <laughs> I'm sorry. We shouldn't. Well, sorry, oh, Mr. Cheap. Dixie. It's in Britain. Mm-hmm. He he'd been taken to drinking drugs and did not realize he was dead until after having sex with a corpse in the driveway. Wait, so she? <laughs> so the lawyer asked, "Did there come a time when you realized that she was dead?" No. Mr. Dixie replied, "It probably occurred to him that that was why she was not moving." I ended up thinking that she would wake up, not realizing what happened the night before. There was nothing going on in my head, said the man. Well, that sounds accurate. I don't understand. He first realized that Miss Bowman was dead when he failed to respond to his bites to her face. Wow. Oh. Wait, so that was his... Which he found her half naked in the driveway, started having sex with her. She didn't move or respond to it or breathe Mm -hmm. in any way. And he realized she was dead when he started biting her face. (laughs) Well, this all started when he left a friend's flight to... uh, uh, he left a friend's flat to buy some cocaine at 4.30 in the morning and came across, uh, well, the dead lady. Like seeing a $10 bill in the gutter. After having yeah. uh, sex with the body and returning to the flat, he checked his hands and clothing for blood and smoked cannabis to calm down. Mr. Dixie has no address, and he denies murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, the best part is I've got some audio from this, actually. Not from the, you Mr. Know. Dixie? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Dixie. That's going to be my uh, it's gonna be my clown name. Hi, oh. uh, kids. Come say hello to Mr. Dixie. Uh, this is from the BBC, I think. This is uh, a woman reporting on this guy who apparently had sex with a dead woman in her driveway. Well, no, his story, his version is not that he killed her, because they're saying that he killed her and then had unlawful Congress with her corpse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, also the biting and just the general, yeah. Uh, and the, yeah, having sex in her driveway. I thought she'd wake up the next morning and be okay with it. <laughs> Did he really say he the best? Like that? Yeah, that's the best part, by the way, is that in his assessment, he's claiming not to have killed her. He's claiming he was walking to the store to buy some cocaine or, you know, whatever, came across the corpse and said, I'll have sex with that, uh, but thinking she was just passed out. The best part about it is he's a real gentleman. After having sex with her unconscious body and biting her repeatedly, he then just left her in the driveway like in a pool of motor oil, thinking like, Maybe I should take her inside or put her on the porch. Maybe cover her with a newspaper. No, 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 I'll just leave her in the driveway. He's all class. So here's, uh... Sally Ann Bowman's mother and her two sisters arriving at the Old Bailey today. Sally Ann had worked as a model. She was just 18 when she was attacked and murdered after a so night out So now listen to the little exchange they have. Police were called to her address in Croydon in South London after her body was found on her driveway in a pool of blood. Today, the man of her murder, 37-year-old Mark Dixie, was asked to explain what's been described as his very unattractive defense, (laughs) that he hadn't killed her but had unwittingly had sex with her dead body. Unwittingly. Prosecuting barrister Brian Altman insisted, you killed her for sex. 
Mark Dixie replied, No, I did not. Mr. Altman asked, Did you not find it strange that she was unresponsive? Was her skin cold to the touch? Not that I recollect, the accused replied. <laughs> no, she seemed to be enjoying it. She, uh, she did seem to be rather subdued, but I thought it was sort of an understated pleasure. Jesus. So, there you go. So, there's that a... That is so creepy. As Keith Olbermann would say, he wins today's prize for worst person in the world. There's your corporate... I'm digging a This is KCMD Portland, by the way. A proud part of the CBS radio family. <laughs> one more. Uh, Richie, do we have uh, Peter Carlin joining us uh, at uh, at 2 o'clock? Are we going to be speaking? To, do we not know? This is one of those things where I suspect Richie in his hungover state uh, may have uh, not called Peter Carlin because then I just said, are we talking to Peter Carlin rather than typing the answer on the screen? Immediately I just saw the line pick up as though he's forgotten to call altogether. Did you see Richie's new poster in his room? Oh yeah, God. He's t- so there Richie... are several pictures of Richie run off in the Xerox machine. The other so, so really? Really? Are they all of his face? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, the, uh... So it, that's what he's doing. He's sitting there making giant blow-up pictures of his face and printing them on... So this, this is what... Maybe he's sending them to gals. <laughs> Richie's... Here's my headshot. In Richie's, uh, in Richie's room, he's got a huge poster of that um, witless protection movie with Larry the Cable Guy and uh, Jenny McCarthy, except he's put his own face over that of Larry the Cable Guy. So there you go. Uh, okay, here's uh, Tim Riley. Two men were stabbed and injured last night while watching a horror film at the AMC Theater in Fullerton. It appears to be a random attack. When officers arrived at the theater, people were running out of the theater, some covered with blood. The name of the motion picture was The Signal, a horror comedy, which is told in three parts and three perspectives, in which a mysterious transmission invades every cell phone and TV, turning people into killers. The film was paused while police conducted their investigation. When it was resumed, the first scene was a stabbing. <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> I'm sorry you're skinning over your trauma. Now that we've cleared everything up, we're going to put the movie back on. So the healing can... process has begun. <laughs> so you can relax. All right, can you roll the film? <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> it's like the people at my wife's nuthouse watching Deliverance. <laughs> Squeal like a pig. Oh. oh. The patients seem unusually upset today. They all seem tense and on edge for some reason. Okay. Uh, well, who wants to take a break? No, I will. All right, let's take a break here. We come back. Uh, I do have a couple additional uh, movie thoughts from last night that we'll do. Uh, later on, Tim Riley. Oh, I do have Falling Slowly. Should we save that still? Yeah, let's do that into the next break. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, perhaps Peter Carlin, Tim Riley returns uh, later on and uh, so forth. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Things are just falling apart. Sorry, I, think I, hit, I hit the dump button accidentally. Oh, now. you did? I went, to hit, I went to hit the cough button and I hit the dump button. Well, then nobody will ever hear what you just said. Yeah. I can't believe that came out of your mouth. That was disgusting. 
Okay. <laughs> 503-733-2970. Uh, coming up later on, more from Tim Riley, and we'll do a uh, Oscar-centric high-concept topic. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Oregonian, Oregonian TV critic and dude about town, Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey. Hey, seems like you were just here. I know, isn't it crazy? Yes, the and because we and we do this uh, this uh, recap hour uh, now uh, at in ten uh, at the, from ten to eleven. So we just heard your dulcet tones uh, just hours ago, sir. Wow. Uh, anyway. Do I get like some kind of royalty for that? The answer to that is no. A resounding no. Oh. Absolutely no. All Hell right. no. Under no circumstances will that be the case. Hey, did you watch the Oscars last night? <laughs> yeah. Did you read the paper this morning? Apparently not. I'm sorry, I don't have the paper in front of me. No, you missed my big column about... Oh, wait, here it is. The Oscars. Hey, guess what? I have the paper in front of me. Is that right? <laughs> right here. No, I... Uh, because... Uh, oh, here we go. Relief, if not exactly excitement, now I feel like an ass. Um, I went to find my copy of the paper this morning, though it was gone, and I had complained about it, and apparently during one of the commercial breaks, somebody came in here and uh, gave me a copy of today's paper. I didn't see it, though, so my apologies... Yeah. All right. <laughs> I can tell that you've accepted that apology in the spirit in which it was given. Um, <laughs> hey, so how, and I, we, we've kind of done our Oscar recap today, but I'll kind of go back and hit some of these uh, beats, as they say. Uh, how great was it, though, uh, when the, the once couple uh, won for Falling Slowly? How great was that? That was awesome. I, I, that was a really, really cool movie, and I really think that's a lovely song. And um, and though the Oscar, the Phil Conti and the Os the, yeah. the, the the Academy Orchestra did everything they could to ruin it, it was like Phil Spector hauling off on the long and winding road. It's like here's a really beautiful song, let's like tart it up with as many sort of like like worthless and useless layers of of strings and horns that 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 this will detract from. The raw kind of urgency and, and and sweetness and yearning in the song. I had the same thought actually because uh, the, you know they show the orchestra and it is not the slightly like orchestra and their playing abilities, but not every song needs an orchestral backing. Yeah, you think? Yeah, and uh, even you know uh, there are three different versions of that song that I've heard. There's this, the version they play in the re you've seen the film, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's the version they play in the music store. Then there is the version on the soundtrack. And then there's a version by that guy, Glenn Hansard. He got really tired of waiting for the movie to come out, and so he recorded a version of that song with his band, The Frames. Mm -hmm. And even that version, which doesn't have an orchestral backing, but is sort of a full band arrangement, is not nearly as powerful as the direct version yeah. that, that those two send together. So it is, was... she on the, is she on the thing with The Frames? I... You know, I don't... I've only heard it a couple times, so I actually don't yeah. know definitively. Everything about... Um, their moment was kind of awesome, and I mean, I love the fact that like his part of his collar was kind of sticking awkwardly out from the collar yeah. of his the lapel of his jacket, and then he was wearing a vest, and under but but under his the, the bottom of the vest, his shirt was kind of pooching out a little bit. Yeah, he just looked like a human being, though clearly he'd had a haircut. No, I mean, I, you know, obviously, and you know, she looked, uh, you know, she looked very radiant as well. And obviously, somebody put him through the, a buffing machine before they got there. Yeah. But, but you're right. And he, uh, you know, and he's the first to admit that he's not an actor. Uh, he's, a, you know, a musician. And I know he was really reluctant to make once because he, uh, he was like, he played Outspan Foster in the movie The Commitments some years back. And I know that he had regretted being in the movie The Commitments because he felt that it took time away from his music career. Hmm. And he had really, really. Um, 
he had agonized over whether to be in once because it, you know he, again he didn't want it to to sort of take away from his you know from his primary job as you know as a singer and a songwriter. Uh, but it, but it, because it was you know it was with a friend of his and it was and that he is a real life couple with that woman I believe. Yes, that's true. So it's uh, it's just a great movie though, and I love the idea that as he said it was just made for like a hundred grand with two handicams and that. Despite however good that Enchanted movie is made out to be, I just sort of grew to hate it over the course of the evening because it was hogging all of the nominations. I mean, by the, by the third time that they had a 500-person like dance interpretation of some song for that movie yeah. out there, I was just I was so hell bent on it not winning. Um, those those were awful. And the thing is, I just can't believe that the Oscars people, the producers, Gil Cates and all those other guys. Um, Believe that Americans, circa 2008, like still like that kind of mid-century Broadway, you know, just like half a step away from vaudeville type of type of type of uh, you know uh, uh, song and dance number, with these people flouncing around. It's like nobody, you know, 99.8 percent of all Americans are looking at that and thinking. I mean, at least the Americans below the age of like 75. Are looking at that, going, "What the hell, man? <laughs> it's like, what is this?" I know. It's. Uh, did you watch the? Uh, did you watch the Grammys when they had that horrible interpretive dance thing to a Day in the Life? No. Okay. <laughs> well, look, dude. I, I. I said, "Did you? Did you read the Oscars? Did you read the paper?" Um, no, so. no, no. I wasn't snorting at you asking me that question. I was snorting at the whole idea of what you just. No, the uh, if you, if the Grammys uh, this year were especially repellent, and there was this whole uh, this whole sequence, which uh, you know I, I thought was cool. It was like, not just a tribute to the Beatles, but I think it was specifically a lifetime achievement award for George Martin, yeah. and who is who I think sometimes, even though he produced you know the Beatles, is sometimes not given his due because the the assumption is well, when you're producing the Beatles, how can you possibly go wrong? Um, oh, you could go wrong in a lot of serious ways. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, as you just mentioned with Phil Spector, there are ways to make those songs, uh, uh, if not bad, certainly, no. uh, to blunt their impact. No, 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 no. You know, you really can't say enough about George Martin and his impact. I mean, not, I mean, if only because, I mean, not only did he have a very good, um, uh, respectful ear for what they were trying to do and had and was willing to go with them anywhere they wanted to go creatively, which is like unheard of in like the annals of corporate producer type guys. Is it because nobody expected anything from the Beatles that they were kind of allowed to have that kind of free reign? You know, um, at first maybe so, but you know, it was really only a matter of months before they had a big hit. And uh, but he was just in charge. And I mean, the thing is, though, a guy like him. I mean, there's so many points where. Like, you know, you compare what the Beatles experienced and, and, and the, the freedom that they were given and how it paid off so massively versus every other band you've heard of where, you know, you know, like, and, and Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys are only just one example where you have this sort of reactionary group of, you know, corporate people and, and management types and band members saying, oh, no, we know we can't risk it. We can't do it. It's Don't different. screw with the formula. Don't screw with the formula, you know, whereas George Martin was like, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do, you know. I love that uh, I love that story about them going into the studio for, I'm probably getting the story wrong, but that how they went in there initially and they were supposed to sing that, uh, 
that Jerry and the Pacemaker song. I how do you that, do it? How do you do it? And, and Paul McCartney was like, no, 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 we cannot <laughs> well, go back to Well, they recorded it. You know, you've heard the outtake. And I, like, I, I haven't, actually. I didn't even know. I thought they just flat out refused to record it. No, they did it, but they were just like, you know what? This sucks. We don't want to do this. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, and then he had the, the, you know, the intelligence or whatever instead of, I mean, and he had every right and, and every, you know, how it, and no one would have expected anything but for their producer to say, no, screw you, you are in fact going to do this because I know this is a hit. And he was right. It was a number one hit for Jerry and the Pacemakers. You know, but he let them record Love Me Do instead. I, I just love the idea, though. I mean, as you probably do, the, I, I am so romantically attached to those great uh, pivotal moments. Yeah. I love the idea of the four guys. It's like we were when you were in the studio party, we were talking about how, uh, you know, they, they were just these guys. In fact, I think... The other day, and we have some story about there was they're getting rid of some flat where like the four Beatles lived, mm -hmm. uh, and it was it, it was that place where there's that photograph of them looking over the stairs down at the camera. Yeah. Um, but I love the idea of there being a studio in whatever year that would have been, uh, what sixty three, sixty two, whatever, where they're there and Paul just saying you know like or whoever just saying they they weren't really happy with the song and George Martin going well uh, well do you have anything else. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it was like. Asking the Beatles, at the, you know, well, I mean, do you guys have anything maybe that you've written? I mean, just you want to talk about your the moment where the levy just broke. Well, when they auditioned, they had they played a couple of their originals, their early originals and stuff, and I don't think he was all that impressed. But for whatever reason, he decided to give him their head and let him record uh, Love Me Do. I've always wanted to see an interview with that guy at Capitol Records or wherever it was that said that guitar groups were on the way out. That wasn't Capitol. Was that was Decca. And you know what? He didn't really... There's a lot of, if you go back, there's a lot of, I mean, that was the story that was told, you know, and retold for the first 20 or 30 years. But I think ultimately, um, you know, he may have said that because they didn't want to uh, alienate Brian Epstein. Um, because Brian, because he was owned that or was, uh, his family owned uh, really influential and big music stores in the north of England. They didn't want, you know, the reason they gave him the audition in the first place was that, they wanted to curry his favor, and I think that when they rejected the Beatles, which was so they could so they could sign Brian Poole and the Tremolos, that uh, or Tremolos or whatever, that 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 that, that they is Sarah talking in the background. Yes, she is. Sarah, oh, really? Is your mic? There you go. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's all right. Um, at any rate, no, because they were signing guitar groups left and right, but it's just that they didn't want to sign the Beatles. That's what it was. He was just trying to soften the blow. He didn't want to say. Your your passion project here really stinks, which is what he was. I think that's what they were thinking. <laughs> the um, uh, just to get back to the, this, the Grammys though, a couple of weeks ago they were. I was in you know, my office at home, kind of working, and, and my wife was doing what she does really well. She was separating the wheat from the chaff for me, mm. and so she would call me in whenever there was something that she knew I would want to see or talk about or make fun of or whatever. Um, like that great moment when Kanye West kind of shut up the guy who was playing the uh, the get him off stage music, but. At one point, I heard, you know, blah, 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 Beatles, George Martin. <clears throat> and then they said, you know, blah, da, 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 the Beatles. And then I heard A Day in the Life. And it wasn't you know, like a live rendition. It was, it was the actual uh, track. And so they're playing A Day in the Life. And I thought, well, that's weird. And I come out, and, and literally there's like the Cirque du Soleil guys on stage doing interpretive dance to A Day in the Life, which was just one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it was really just staggered, just mind-bendingly bad. Well, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, you know what you say, like, well, yeah, but I mean, the, the funny thing is, it's like that somebody had to approve that, just like the whole orchestra playing with the, the once singers, like somebody looked at, well, that's a great idea, that's genius, no, that's, we're, 
Absolutely, yeah. We're yeah. doing them a favor by doing this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was great, though, when Jon Stewart brought her back out to give her... Well, of course. And the thing is, the, the, the amazing thing, and of course, it's like, it's amazing how, as an institution, those shows just absolutely don't pay attention to their own success. Which is to say, when they, go, when they made all those montages of great moments in the past, they were the spontaneous moments where real emotion bubbled to the surface, right? Right. And so here you have this, this amazing Cinderella story of these unknown Irish musicians and this young kid. She's, I don't even know if she's 20 yet. She's quite young. And they suddenly, out of nowhere, won an Oscar. That's a golden moment, right? You think, like, you've got the flexibility to sort of, like, follow wherever that's going to go. I mean, obviously, you don't want the art designer guy to be rattling off a list of his agents and managers and, you know, and, and babysitters and stuff. But you've got this dewy-eyed, young, beautiful Ukrainian girl <laughs> or wherever she's from up there, and she's about to say something about, like, how awesome it is to win an Oscar. And it's like, no, get off the stage. You know, we have another production number coming up. And it's like, but nobody, you know, it's just absurd. And I mean, but it was a beautiful moment when Stewart uh, Usher just said, look, she's coming back out. It was, here's how awkward it was. And we played the audio of it earlier, and Sarah had missed it, so I was sort of d d describing it a little bit. But I mean, it, it was so awkward uh, that I had been watching last night while my wife was at work, and then she got home, and we started watching again for the beginning on the TiVo. And we got to the moment when Glenn Hansard is up there giving his speech. And as soon as he said, you know, like, make art, make art, thank you. I immediately, like, hit the fast-forward button so my wife would not have to witness the awkwardness of her being played off the stage. It was that uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, I didn't know that Stuart brought her out later. So it was it was really doubly sweet that he that he did that. Um, so it was uh, it was great. I mean, it, and it, as you're right, and you're right. Every time they do those, and you know, I'm a, I agree with one thing you said in this article, which is that I I love those greatest hits clips, those those montages they play. Um, I really am a big sucker for those. Unless you were being sarcastic and I didn't pick up on it. Because um, you're skimming it while I'm also talking to you? Well, I didn't say that. You said that, Peter Carlin. <laughs> I, know what, I know what you people are like. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, I was totally straight up. I mean, but the, but the, the pitiful thing is that, you know, that, that, that the moments that they went back to, that they go back to again and again, are the, like, the, 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 the you know, the... The improvised moments, the things right. that happen off the cuff, that just somebody swept out, swept up in emotion, and it's like, but it's like, no, we must do everything we can to crush that, <laughs> you know, stop that, don't let him say something he means, don't let any more moments like that happen in the future, whatever you do, right, right, oh, all right. Uh, so, Oscars, uh, real quick, let's talk about that. Well, of course, it wouldn't be a conversation between Peter Carlin and Rick Emerson if we didn't talk about The Wire. Um, Dude, I just got all the, uh, I just got the last three. Oh, episodes. you son of a bitch, really? Yep. So whoever uh, that fellow we were talking to the other day, Bobby from uh, KUFO, Fat Boy, yeah, yeah, who said that there was that. Who, first of all, is quite svelte. Yeah, no. In fact, the irony, of course, is that uh, uh, I am now fatter than Fat Boy. Well, there you are. So uh, I uh, we had this uh, fat measuring scale in the studio the other day. Yeah, I, remember. I am. Uh, yeah, twenty-seven percent body fat. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Man, this thing's the matter with that scale, dude. <laughs> I don't buy it. Unless it's all measuring your. Uh... I said that too, but nobody listened. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so Fat Boy is now considerably thinner than Rick Emerson. Uh, but uh, anyway, so, yeah, he was talking about how there was a, the last episode is 90 minutes, so they got two and a half hours to wrap it all up from this point. Mm -hmm. uh, is that accurate? Is it the last hour, an hour and a half? I believe, I, you know, the the thing I got didn't say, but I was just, I took him at his word. I took the fat man at his word. Okay. That sounds like code for something. Yes. Uh, that sounds like you've dropped off an ounce of pot for me. So, no, no, no. I've taken the fat man at his word. The fox is in the hen house. <laughs> 
so are you now? Are you going to uh, watch those tonight? Or are you going to view those? Um. Uh, well, I yeah, I'll view them. I don't know if I'm going to get to it tonight. I'm just but... curious. No, but and, because here's the thing. So. Last night's episode of The Wire, the one that everybody saw, yeah. uh, was episode eight, in which uh, in which Omar gets it, right, uh, and just he just catches one in the back of the head, killed by an eight-year-old. I mean, goddamn, really? Oh. That's just you know, wow. Uh, just of all of the ways for that guy to go out. Uh, it was a very abrupt farewell, wasn't but, it? But as I say about that show so often, they do earn it. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like uh, the whole thing with uh, um, uh, with Clay Davis. You know, they they earned uh, his ultimate fate. You know, in that courtroom, they didn't just do it and expect you to buy it. Uh, they they really did. They worked for it. So they got to, uh, two episodes left. And last night, because the thing, if you have on demand, you get the episodes a week in advance. So last night it was around midnight, and I've been trying to go to bed early because I've been kind of sick. Uh, so I was trying to go to bed early last night, and I checked on demand. It, which is a bad idea, because at like 12.01 a.m. last night, it was posted, episode 9 of The Wire. And I really had to force myself to turn the television off and go to bed. I really wanted to sit there and watch episode eight, uh, episode 9 last night. But uh, speaking of which, I will send you, I will email you that interview from The Atlantic about David Simon. Uh, in which he comes, I mean, with that guy really, it's not a, uh, it's not really a hit piece, but they do really spend about six pages talking about the fact that it's it's like one of those cars powered by the sun the wire is one is a show powered by grudges and hate uh where like david simon's whole thing is just about settling scores it's like that's what the wire is like five seasons of getting even with people yeah sure well you know that there's art for you yeah uh, every word every word that i type uh, and have done for more than 20 years is about getting even with somebody well you know, what did uh, what did elvis costello say uh, there was. They asked. Um, they asked Elvis Costello what his motivations were, and he said, um, "I think he said jealousy and greed, or something like that." Um, anyway, uh, final thing here before we go. Uh, are you? Uh, do you watch Dexter? You know what? I hate that show. <laughs> um, and I know that I'm like the only TV critic in America who doesn't, who's not like totally on board. Well, but never I, mind. I think it's chilly. And uh, and and gruesome and off-putting and I don't think uh, the dark humor I don't think is funny and uh, I don't see what the fuss is about. I know he's great or whatever. He's a neat actor, um, but it's just like when I watch it, it makes me physically uncomfortable. Is it now just because of the uh, the violence, or do you find that it has a weird sort of cl uh, clinicality, if that's a word? Well, it's both clinical, but it's all. I mean, it's very chilly and it's. But, it, but but I think it gets off on the violence. I think it it, it sort of it invites the audience to sort of get a charge out of, uh, you know, to sort of like get, gives them permission to enjoy the thrill that goes along with serial killing, and not only killing people but executing them and, and taking them apart in the most gruesome ways imaginable. I did. It's, I was talking to Sarah about it today because I I watched it over the weekend, the first season, and I gave it to Sarah to watch. And it, I did say this, the, and I, I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but there is. As you get on into season one, there is this one particularly horrible crime that they keep flashing back to, and every time they show you a little bit more of it. What well, the thing that happened to him when he was a kid? Yeah, and I'm not going to say any more about it. Because yeah, I saw Sarah that. I saw. Well, I, don't say is, it, Peter. I'm not gonna. All I'm going to say is no, because you don't seem like you're paying really attention. You're like, and then when that happened, <laughs> what? And then when well, Rosebud is the sled? I know. I'm going home to watch it today. I'm afraid you're going to say. I'm it. not going to say diddly about it, but it's a, it's a thing. It's it's like part of the creation myth or whatever of like why he's that way, right? Right. And um and it was a thing that happened to uh, in his family or whatever, which involved like just I mean 
the most horrifyingly awful, I mean, beyond, like yeah. so far beyond the most horrifying thing that could ever happen to a child. And, and there it is. And they go back to it repeatedly, 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 repeatedly. And it's just sort of like, you know what? Screw you, you know, screw you and your stupid show. Uh, because it's like, if you can't, if you, if you can't like gin up like drama and, and dark comedy and all that in tones less, you know, that are, that are, that are something, you know, something less than this just gruesome, awful, worst kind of murder repeatedly again and again and again. It's like, you know what? It's, it's just, I got no interest. You got nothing for me. I was talking to somebody, uh, somebody from CNN earlier. We were talking about Dexter and television, whatever. And I compared that sequence that you're talking about. I compared it sort of to that, uh, that sequence with David Aceveda early on in The Shield, where there's that horrible act at gunpoint. And where you sort of... You mean where he bleep, and then they make him bleep? Yeah, yeah. that part. Where the guy has a gun to his head, and they force him to... Uh, do stuff. To do stuff at gunpoint. That he would, ordinarily that he would perhaps choose not to do. And not have pictures taken of it. Yeah. And I remember it's the same... I felt the same way watching Dexter, uh, which, to be fair, I did like, as, as I did watching that S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, where you kind of... You sort of look into yourself, and you kind of go, what kind of person am I? That I am watching this for entertainment. Well, the shield, though, you know, I mean, there was a certain, you know, there's a certain moral ambiguity and 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 that goes on there, and at least that was happening to an adult, right? Right. And and kind of, and not the most sort of like morally pure adult either. So you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, you you can sort of sit through that and not feel. At to me, it's like when you start victimizing when when as a dramatist, the you have to you know kick things off by. By doing something or portraying something horrible being done to a child, it's like I'm like you know you got about half a second to make you know to to, to you know to make that worthwhile. You're off because the other bus. than that, you're just you're just playing with like with, with, with what you're doing is that the only way you can get anyone's attention is by using nukes. You know what the equivalent, the dramatic equivalent of nuclear weapons. Right. And I'm just like, you know, you're an idiot. Screw you. I don't need to see this. Same deal with, um, uh, you know, who else? I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, taking the opposite of a shine to is, is Dennis Leary, as a result of uh, his his firefighter show. Right. Uh, Rescue me. Yeah. Right. Where it's like his character is like Job. Like every season, it's like the only way they can drag people through the end of the season. You know, or to kick off the action, you know, at the start of the season is, is for another relative of his to die, you know, or something horrible to happen. So you find it to be a sort of cheating shorthand. I do. I think I, I. Oh, I mean, it's like you can use it to some degree. I mean, I think there's certain contexts in which it works, but in that show, it's just all about making you, you know, sort of maintaining, you know, allowing the viewer to sort of maintain their sense of pity or, or interest in, in, you know, in that character. And I'm just sort of like, you know, shortcut, shortcut, shortcut. You can, you know, you don't have to hit me, hit everyone over the head with a, with a sledgehammer. You know, there are other, you know, way more subtle ways to make people care about your characters. Look at uh, Mad Men. They don't kill off people on that show every week, you know. And it's way more, you know, gripping and compelling than these other things. I really and then Leary's like a, a creator <laughs> of this other new show called Canterbury's Law, which is coming up with some what's your name who used to be on uh, on ER, you know, the hot Juliana. What's her name? Margulies. I believe that's who's in it. Yeah. And I was just looking at the description of the show, and guess what? You know, <laughs> she's a grieving mother, so they they execute her child. So you would like be willing to watch the show. 
And I mean, I'm sorry, maybe I'm, I mean, but I just sort of feel like, okay, that's it. That's like, that's, you can tell it's a Dennis Leary show because they're, you know, they're, they're, there's dead relatives they're everywhere. They're executing children, you know, the small children, that, you know, at the start of the show. Uh, I do have to say, Peter Carlin, really, and I mean this with absolute, uh, the utmost sincerity, that the conversations like this are why we love you. I really do mean that. We've gone from, we've, we've really gone from uh, forced sodomy at gunpoint to interpretive dance to the Beatles. So. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, I guess we will talk to you next uh, Monday, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all going right. on book leave, so we when... can talk about whatever, but I won't be watching a lot of TV for the next couple of weeks. All right. Well, we'll talk to you Monday. Thanks again for coming in Friday. It was fantastic, my friend. My pleasure. All right. Read him in print in the Oregonian online at Oregon Live, uh, on, uh, online at OregonLive.com. Worship him always. There you go. That's uh, Peter Carlin. Thank you, Peter. All right. Tim Riley, have ye news? Yes. All right. Let's take a break. Okay. After all that horrible, like, depressing talk, I'm going to play the falling slowly. All right. We'll come back. Tim Riley has news for you around the corner. I love Peter. All right. Here's uh, Falling Slowly from the movie Once. Uh, this uh, won an Academy Award last night. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. I don't know you, but I want you. Emerson Radio Program. That's what you're doing. Uh, two, let's see. Uh, coming up at three, uh, like us, Donna Mike at seven, and so forth. This, however, is your personal savior, Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. PSU's Newberger Hall will stay closed till 5.30. This after somebody found a note in the restroom indicating a bomb would detonate in that hall at 4.30 this afternoon. Kids were swept from the building. The cops came in. They checked. They didn't find anything, but still, not going to reopen until around 5.30. That's PSU's New Burger Hall, closed for now. That the Longview uh, podiatrist who's charged with stealing about $55,000 worth of expensive racing bikes in Washington, Oregon, and Utah is dead. Uh, Jacob Voss hanged himself in his room on the seventh floor of St. John's Medical Center in Longview. Two nurses found him hung to death. He was out on bail awaiting trial in Collins County on nine counts of first-degree possession of stolen property, three counts of trafficking. He was admitted to St. John's February 7th. He pled not guilty in Collins Superior Court to 12 counts of possessing stolen bicycles. He'd go into a bike shop, take a test drive, and never return. And they weren't cheap bikes either. He sold about $55,000 worth. Many were high-end models, costing thousands of dollars each. 
He was arrested in Seattle January 18th and tried unsuccessfully to kill himself the next week by taking some drugs and uh, slitting his forearm and driving his car into a river <laughs> when he should have just hung himself in the first place. Really, honestly, the first time he took pills and slit his wrist and drove his car into the river and lived. Next time, just hang yourself. He's a human black box. I do like and the... He looks like a fly. Can I... Well, it looked like a fly when he was alive. Now he's a dead fly. I do, I do like the phrase, hung himself to death. Like, as, as opposed to just hanging himself, you know, for kicks. Just for a goof. So that's that. Do we have more news? No, we don't. Well, we do. <laughs> but not, I can't give it all away at the just, moment. Just not hanging. Well, Tim, you know, the wise person doesn't give it away. That's right. The uh, What did you say one time? Attractive Only people the fat, don't... the ugly, and the hopeless give it away. <laughs> There's no shortage of them. <laughs> That's why you're the gold standard, Tim Riley. Try to be a step above all that. Mission accomplished, Tim Riley. I try. You are, uh, yes. You are on your own level. Of that, there is no doubt. Never giving it away. No. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at 4, 5, 6, and uh, 7. The top of the hour, the way through, like us. Thank you, Tim Riley. Sure. <laughs> Formaldehyde. You know, the is just walking through the hallways right now, and every single person I encountered, everyone was singing the one song. Yeah. It was like something out of a movie. I swear, I saw uh, Chris Paddock, uh, Fatboy, and Becca, like, wandering around singing a different And here's part. the thing about it, and, and you know, and everybody kind of gets a sense of smug satisfaction for being like, well, I knew the Once movie before it won an Oscar. But you know what? I don't, I have no, I will gladly trade uh, whatever, like, uh, it tiny hip credential I had uh, for watching, you know, for knowing the movie before it won an Oscar. Doesn't matter. Like, I'll totally trade that for those guys getting the attention they deserve. Uh-huh. I mean, because sometimes you're like, sometimes you kind of are sad when something gets mass acceptance because then, like, you kind of lose your sort of, you know, you're sort of being on the inside or knowing about it when people don't. But you know what? I have no, I'm really, really glad that they won and that they're going to get attention and maybe uh, more, you know, more exposure for the music. And they're coming to town. They are coming I down. know. Let's not talk about it, though. Because I'm afraid it's going to get the ticket no on knows. sale yet, and I don't want it to sell out. Oh, because, of course, they're not going to promote the hell out of that. I know. And an Academy Award-winning song duo is coming to town. Well, we have a little bit of an in. A little bit. A little bit. Because uh, CBS is bringing them to town. So, we'll see. Very rarely do we get the hookup. People think that we get the hookup for things all the time at CBS, and it really, it really isn't true most no, of the time. No, we get denied a lot. <laughs> no, no, and, and and often, and the misery of it is, sometimes we get denied because we work at CBS. It's like, no, 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 these prizes are for listeners. You get nothing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. Well. Like the Godfather collections that we had. You're so bitter about that still. I'm not bitter. You are bitter. I'm a little bitter. Hey, I like your nails, though. Mint oh, green. Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, let's see. Yeah, I know. It's kind of an awkward chunk of time. What should we do? Well, I was going to do a, like a high concept topic. Do I have time to do that? We have high concept. A few minutes? Time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, oh, yeah, okay. So here's the high concept uh, topic. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Here's the high concept topic. Uh, because it was Oscar night last night. A movie that you really, really wanted someone to see and appreciate, and you finally just given up on getting them to either finish it or like it. Uh, here's why. So it's 503-733-2970. A movie uh, that you really wanted someone, often a loved one, to see and appreciate, you've finally just given up on it, and you've just accepted the fact that they're never going to finish it or like it. They either fall asleep, or they quit watching it halfway through, or they watch it and they don't get it. You were you showed it to them going like, no, 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 honey, this is the greatest movie, and then they fell asleep like 90 minutes in. Uh, so it's 503-733-2970. That's today's high-concept topic. Here's why. Because... 
So they, last night they were doing that whole, uh, here's every movie that's ever won Oscar, you know, Best Picture of the Year. And they showed a little clip of all 79 films that have won Best Picture. And I made, I was telling Lana, I said, you know, hey, well, let's, let, you know, shout out the ones you've seen. Because you know, just like to see, like to know what she's seen. And so she's like, yeah, she's seen Gone with the Wind and West Side Story and Network and, or, you know, whatever the other movies were. And so we get to The Godfather. Uh, and she's like, whoo, I've seen The Godfather. And I said, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Quit saying you've seen The Godfather. And here's why. Because I've tried to show her The Godfather twice, and she's fallen asleep both times. <laughs> both times. Goddamn Godfather. Only one of the greatest movies ever made. And then she and then she tried to woo at Godfather 2, and I said, that's, that's stupid. You've never even, you, I've never even tried to make you watch Godfather 2. You don't get to see Godfather 2 until you make it through Godfather 1 with that. And she goes, well, maybe we should watch it again. Maybe we should try a third time. And I said, no, that's it. I draw the line. I've, try, I've sat you down in front of the Godfather twice. Both times you have fallen asleep. I'm done. I'm done. I have washed my hands. I have given up trying to get my wife to watch the Godfather. I've just given up. I'm moving on. I no longer care. All right. I can't think of one. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Well, I know that for a long time uh, you had an ex who was trying to get you into what, Rocky. Is that the deal? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. But I've given up with the Godfather. She fell asleep twice ever. She doesn't get to watch it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick? Yes. Oh, I got the most hideous story. It's just coincidentally it happens to be uh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. Dr drug it home for the wife and the in-laws. I think it was even before we were married. Uh -huh. they, all, they all sat there and stared at the screen like retarded puppies. It was yeah. just insane. I'm just rolling on the floor, and I'm just looking at them like, oh. and, it's, and it's never a movie you casually like. It's always a movie on that you think is gold, and they, they'll either hate it or they'll just go, well, I don't get it. That's the thing sometimes, like with Monty Python, it's a lot of, I just don't get it, maybe. Exactly. They yeah. just sat there, tilted their heads, and had these weird looks on their faces. And I was in adolescence. Coming out of adolescence, I thought it was the best thing since canned corn. I feel your pain, sir. Okay. Uh, thank you. Best uh, show ever. Thank you, my friend. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's up? Hey, uh, interestingly enough, uh, it was once. That really? movie, uh, and I was trying to get people to watch it, and, well, maybe, uh, I don't know, I'll get to it, and... A couple of people that I know finally saw it, and they, I guess they just didn't get it, you know? I don't know. I guess it was cute and everything. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and you're just kind of going, oh, come on! <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm glowing about the movie, and, you know, I, 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 I detest musicals, you know, yeah. but that... That was just uh, that was an amazing, amazing movie. Yeah, and so just when you guys just played the the song yeah. a little bit like a couple of minutes ago, oh yeah, that was that's great. That's a great movie. But I I, I just I just quit and I just cease and desist. I'm trying to people to get to watch it. That's because the thing because it's better just to quit than to have them either say no or watch it and not like it because then you have to kill them. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and and this also happened. Uh, 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 this friend of mine and I it was her birthday and I it was the same day that once was released on DVD, the very first day, uh -huh. I raced over, got the DVD, uh, gave it to her as a present. She Even still, she didn't see it for the longest time. She finally did. And she said, eh, what's all right? <laughs> eh. Oh, Jesus. All right. Thank you, sir. Hey, oh, best show ever. Thank you, my friend. Oh, that sucks. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. What's up? What's up? Uh, this is actually pretty recent. I love the movie Gone Baby Gone. I thought it was yeah. great. Great Saw it in the theater. Thought it was fantastic. Excellent. Wanted to take my wife. She, she she's not really into like you know kidnapping stories and things. But right. I, I bought the tickets to the theater. Took her and said, "I've got these tickets. We're going to go tonight." Ah, you know, I got something going on school related that I can't really go. Uh, you know, I went out and bought it the day it came out. Watch it. I put it on top of the TV and I said, "Watch this." It still sits there just collecting dust oh, because she has she has no interest. And at a certain point, you're just going to take it and put it on the shelf. Seriously. All right. It's a great film I, though. 
Thanks, Rick. Thank you, sir. All right, do a few more here. Uh, talking about, uh, uh, is, did you finally give up on trying to get somebody to watch or appreciate a good film? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Hey, everybody. What's up? I, I'll tell you, the only movie I've really ever just loved so much I wanted all my friends and loved ones to see was What the Bleep Do We Know? Oh, yeah, with Marley Matlin. Yeah, yeah, and I seriously, like, I told everybody I knew. I even loaned my copy to a couple different people, and, like, like both people, like, after a month, I'm like, hey, have you seen it? I was like, no, it's just sitting there. I was like, all right, give it back. Uh, you back. You, you've lost your chance. Ah, yeah, so, yeah, that's the only movie that I really, really ever wanted a bunch of people to see, and, yeah. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, a few more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hi. Hello. I gave up on a friend of mine that uh, I wanted him to see The Sensuous Nurse. It's not a porno, though. <laughs> Any movie that you have to go, no, 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 but it's not a porno. No, 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 serious. No, it's like an Italian film with Ursula Andress from uh, mm. 73, I think. Excellent. I gave it to the guy. I was like, hey, man, there's some cool, you know, in-between new shots in there and a uh, pretty funny storyline. I don't think he's watched it Maybe yet. he didn't watch it because it's not a porno. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. That Cheers. Me, that reminds me of the movie that I tried to get you to watch that you've had for four years, what? The Beaver Trilogy. It's this great mock documentary. Yeah, the problem is I don't have a VCR anymore. I'd watch it, but I no longer have a VCR. I know. My poor friend Kevin let you borrow it four years ago, and he yeah. asked me about it, and it's all awkward. I'm like, I don't know. And uh, plus, he's like, you still didn't watch it ever. Somewhere in my basement. That's a really, really neat movie. I you couldn't watch really it if like I tried. It. That's the thing. is, I couldn't watch it now even if I wanted to. I don't have a VCR. That on DVD? I'll give you my VCR. Okay. Okay. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Hey, yeah, um, the movie that uh, I always tried to get my friends to watch was uh, that uh, Mating Habits of the Earthbound Human. I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah, it was just uh, this little uh, independent movie, but if you could get past the fantastic uh, um, acting of Carmen Electra in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if you get past that, it's a fantastic movie. It's like a little mockumentary. Um it's kind of done in the style of, like, aliens uh, watching the mating habits of humans. Okay. Fair enough, sir. Yeah. Yeah, it has these, like, little uh, guys dressed up as, like, little sperm running into these walls. It's supposed to be, like, a microscopic view of what it's like. Well, all right. <laughs> if you check that, if, hilarious. You, if you like that movie, you should see a movie called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But We're Afraid to Ask by Woody Allen, which is really good. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's do two more, and they're both women, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi there. Believe it or not, the movie that I cannot get my fiancé to appreciate is almost famous. I'm Dump him. Crying. Dump him now. Dump him now. No, I just married him last week. Oh, did he? Okay, here's the thing, though. If you if he watches it and doesn't like it, you must leave him. Okay, listen, he, he says it's sweet, but he doesn't appreciate the value of it. However, he does love Monty Python, so I gave him a second chance. Yeah, fine. That's a wash. In Vegas, they'd call that a push. Really? Okay. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm, All right, final call on this, uh, on this topic. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi. Hi. Oh, good. It's me. Okay. Hi. Yes. No, I'm the Hi. one that won't watch the movie. My mother's tried to get me to watch The Color Purple for years and years, and the more she pushed, the more I said no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, The Color Purple's okay. It's, you know, kind of a lot of heavy-handed Steven Spielberg it, sort of, you know. I think she finally quit trying to make me watch it about a couple years ago. Yeah, you, it really, if you die without seeing it, it's not like it's going to keep you from getting to heaven. That's okay. It's okay. It's a decent film, but... Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it on like the must-see list or anything. No, but it's just the more she pushed, the more I said, nah. Oh no, I'm. I, I hear you on that. You're like, no, no, no. You gotta watch it tonight. You're like, uh, not gonna happen. No. All right. Thank you. Thank you. There Bye. All right. That was good. All right. We'll be back after this to wrap it up. Uh, like us at three. Donna Mike at seven. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Here's Quintus. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Down.
We now enter the saddest part of the broadcast today, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. We want to thank uh, CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins uh, joined us today. Uh, joining us tomorrow will be somebody who joins us on Tuesdays? Maybe not. Well, whoever joins us tomorrow. Hello. Thanks for being there in advance. Uh-huh. Oh, and Peter Carlin from the Oregonians. Uh, Rick Emerson Show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970 Solid State Radio in the newsroom. Tim Riley. Uh, Richie Bristol on the phones. Dave Zinn is the gatekeeper. Bridget from upstairs is our webmistress. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Reynolds. Don't forget, you can hear a truncated version of this program tomorrow at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. each weekday to Rick Emerson recap. As always, don't let the bastards grind you down. Watch out for snakes. See you all tomorrow. Like us next. I'm huge. I regret nothing. Bye. I drink your milkshake.